0: dedicated to covering all aspects of the superman legend featuring
2: the thrilling adventures of superman golden age superman the superman fan
1: podcast
0: superman in the bronze age from
1: crisis to crisis a superman podcast i've got a few things to say about superman the superman vidcast the
0: world's best podcast and radio kale from supermanhomepage.com as well as the audio dramas superman last son of krypton and supergirl last daughter of krypton from Pendon audio production join hosts
3: michael bradley john wilson billy Hogan.
0: Charlie Niemeyer
3: J.
2: David Weeder,
3: Jeffrey
0: Taylor Michael Bailey Scott Gardner Kamen Stoll. I'm Isaac I'm Adam. Dave Yunus and co-host Scotty V at supermanpodcastnetwork.com Rocketed as a being from the exploding planet Krypton Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. Superman.
2: Welcome to Superman in the Bronze Age, episode 41, the only podcast chronicling Superman's adventures in the, well, Bronze Age, from 1970 to Crisis on Infinite Earths in 1986. I am one half of your hosting duo, David Bruce Bittweeter, and with me is Mr. Charles Sanders, Santa's Little Helper, Niemeyer. <laughs> ho, 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 everybody. <laughs> and joining us, joining us this week is a very special guest. Many of you will know him from his other podcasts. Views from the long box, back to the bins, tales of the Justice Society of America, Murphy Brown, Bailey's Batman podcast, from Crisis to Crisis, or as a staff staff writer at the Superman homepage and frequent contributor to the Penthouse forum, Mr. Michael Bonesaw <laughs> Bailey. <laughs> Bonesaw is ready. <laughs>
1: Wow. Dear Penthouse Forum, I never believed this could happen to me. <laughs> I'm a guest host on Superman in the Bronze Age. Yes. And Woo-hoo! we
2: started like any other day. <laughs> well, welcome, Mr. Michael Bailey. Obviously, you, Thank- you, you you don't podcast about Murphy Brown.
1: <laughs> I probably could. My mom loved that show. No, but I really uh, appreciate you guys having me on.
2: This is a lot of fun. This is great. Yay. so far and recently we were on your show from crisis to crisis a superman podcast
1: which will probably be out before this one if you guys are uh, recording another episode that happens before this later correct to peel
0: back the curtain yes. a little bit yeah this isn't coming out till the end of the month yep so you'll be hip deep in funeral by then
1: yep it's 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 kind of crazy over it from crisis to crisis right now uh Somebody died and we're trying to deal with it. So,
2: was it was it Jeffrey? <laughs> then we're gonna get four different Jeffrey Taylors. Oh, God. I can
1: barely oh. handle one.
0: <laughs> Damn, uh,
1: Jeffrey, the Roger from American Dad, or from Crisis. To Crisis. <laughs> Sadly, nice. he doesn't get that joke as he does not watch American Dad.
0: So. So, uh, and we-, we can't even sit here and go from crisis to crisis an American from Dad podcast. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but uh Michael and I we used to do a show together called Xavier's Podcast for Gifted Youngsters. Uh I I've enjoyed all of Mr. Bailey's podcasts. And certainly it's, it's an honor to have you on, sir.
1: Oh doc, don't, don't say that. I'm
2: just a guy that has
1: a crapload of Superman books and a lot of free time on my hand <laughs> plus a microphone. So, now I appreciate you guys having me on. I've I uh, recently got caught up on the show, as there are so many Superman-related podcasts, it's very easy to get behind uh, on all of them, as I have. Uh, really? I'm not even going to admit how behind I am on the thrilling adventures of Superman, but I'm working on that right now. Uh, hey, I'm
0: on that one, too. You should check it out.
1: I I, I haven't gotten <laughs> to your episode yet. Oh, wow. You but, are behind uh, there's just yeah, there's there's just so many of us now. It's kind of crazy. that for a while there, it was it was Steve and, and uh, Neil and then Steve and Scotty V over at the homepage, uh, Billy Hogan and Jeffrey and I. And then suddenly, all these uh, people came out of the woodwork, and we've pretty much got Superman covered. And we just need yeah. someone to come up, and pick up the slack of the from Infinite Crisis to the relaunch era that you started. Uh, <laughs> The the
2: creatively bipolar era, as John M. Wilson calls it. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, there's a reason I stopped covering those books. It just, there was no fun in them after after what I'd covered. Because up ahead from where I was at was New Krypton. I'm like, I just don't have the strength anymore.
1: <laughs> they broke
2: you? Is that what you're they saying? They broke <laughs> me. Wow, yeah. That's amazing. It's the, Le- the, the Jeff Johns Legion did it.
0: That broke you. I actually story. liked that stuff.
2: Yeah, me too. I was good Probably up
0: enough. to I was good up to New Krypton. Once you look past the whole Christopher thing. I was good up to New Krypton and then I uh, had to drop the books.
2: Mm. I didn't I didn't have a choice. I, I, I had quit. a subscription <laughs> through DC, so <laughs> oh, it, kept, well, it yeah. kept
1: coming. I kept telling you
2: no. no. <laughs> They Decent wouldn't stop. No no. <laughs> <laughs> Another one's in my mailbox.
1: <laughs> no, but seriously, it is, it, is, it is a real pleasure to be here. I, uh, I look forward to talking about these books because my least favorite supporting character ever gets introduced
0: in the Superman issue. So, <laughs> Yes, yes. Uh, Mike is here because he loves Steve Lombard. And he gets to be introduced in this very episode. Isn't that exciting, everybody?
2: Yay! Yay!
0: And, uh, and by love in that not-at-all kind of way. <laughs> well, I was hoping to convey the sarcastic.
1: Oh, you did. You did. I'm oh, okay, cool. Just, <laughs> just in case.
0: <laughs> For those who came late, Mike does not like Steve Lumber. Um But before we get into that, and... We will let Mike tell you more about his other shows, because he's, like David said, he's got like three or four. Um, We will do that at the end of the show. Now, we have to uh, recite something so that we get paid. So, would you like to keep up on all your favorite comics, graphic novels, and collected editions, but don't want to pay full retail price? Look no further than discount comic book service, which is DCBS. DCBS is an online comics retailer that offers comic fans the comics they need at the prices they want. With monthly specials that range from 45 to 75 percent off the retail price, and over 13,000 individual collected editions and graphic novels in stock, DCBS is the one-stop shop that every comic fan longs for. Also this month, DC's The New 52 Number Seven issues are available in a bundle for 50% off, and you can find them on the web at d- www.dcbservice.com. And please also be sure to visit their sister stores, In Stock Trades, and My Digital Comics. See how I did that without stumbling? That was—I've been practicing all
2: day. I was a little terrified when you said we have to recite something. I thought this—this this meant a blood <laughs> oath was coming.
0: <laughs> yeah, we're gonna cut open our hands and shake. Um, pledge allegiance to in stock trades. <laughs>
2: <laughs> mecca lecca like hi, mecca hiney ho.
0: And the United DCBS Service Websites.com. For
1: my but, digital um, comics, for which it stands.
0: <laughs> <laughs> One Nation under Zod. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, let's see. Okay, so, uh, so without further ado, I guess we will do promos more than likely, we're probably going to try to include something that Michael Bailey does, you know, just to make sure everyone knows that he has a somewhat of a presence online. And we'll be right back. After these messages,
3: we'll be right back. I couldn't believe he was really dead. I didn't know what I could say to you. Yes, child, we know, we know. I was there. I watched him fight that thing. I watched him die. I didn't do anything but watch him die. Lois, Lois, now listen. It's not your fault. You did all you could. Everyone did everything they could. Now you've got to get on with your life. We all have.
1: The battle is over. A hero has
0: fallen. Miss Lane, I monitored Superman when I arrived. I cannot pick up any brain activity at all.
1: As the city mourns, a family comes to grips with the loss of their son.
3: Ah,
0: I keep coming back here to the North
3: Pasture, to where he first came into our lives, to say goodbye.
1: His fellow
2: heroes feel regret.
3: Oh, if only I could have helped him, Lex.
2: While his enemies see opportunity.
3: Well, now I'm back on top, and you can't do one blessed thing about it. You're dead. You're nothing. Metropolis is mine again, and you are an empty, lifeless, withering husk.
2: Worst of all, his true love has to learn to live without him.
3: Goodbye, Kal-El.
1: This January, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast presented by supermanhomepage.com and supermanpodcastnetwork.com begin their coverage of the second part of the Death and Return of Superman trilogy. Every Thursday, you are invited to join hosts Michael Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor as they explore how his friends... Loved ones, bitter enemies, and fellow heroes deal with the loss of the Man of Steel. A city in mourning. A world without Superman. A funeral for a friend. Hey, everybody. My name is Michael Bailey, and this is the trailer with a truly epic ending to my new show about Batman, appropriately titled Bailey's Batman Podcast. Bailey's Batman Podcast is a weekly program that looks at a month in the life of the Dark Knight Detective, starting with the books bearing a March 1983 cover date, which is where my solid run of the characters' comics begins, and moving forward until... Well, at least until the books that came out in 2005, because that's where the solid run ends. Each week, I will give you a full synopsis and review of every major ongoing Batman title, with brief stops along the way to look at the important specials, miniseries, one-shots, and Elseworld stories, just to keep things interesting. I'll also be telling you what other books Batman appeared in that month, as well as what was going on elsewhere in the DCU is going to be all Batman, all the time, as I look at over 20 years of the character's history. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the epic ending to this trailer. You ready? The first appearance of Jason Todd. Death in the family. Nightfall. Epic. No Man's Land. Do you have chills yet? All of that and more. Will be covered on Bailey's Batman Podcast every Tuesday at Bailey'sBatmanPodcast.com. Presenting Superman. All right,
0: and we're back, and we're going to come in with Superman 264, which had an on sale date of March 8th, 1973, with a cover price of 20 cents. And the cover artist, of course, was Nick Carty as he is all the time. And I guess we didn't mention that the cover month is June 1973, which makes this technically, what, Superman's 45th year? Yes. Because mm-hmm. that was quick math 35th. in my head. 35th? Yep. yep. Yeah, that's what I meant. 35 years of Superman. Um... Where was I? Oh yeah, the the, mm-hmm. the cover features Superman being belted by, ironically, a Phantom quarterback, who has the full uniform except no no head and no hands and no shins. But still a pretty cool cover. One of the more popular ones you will see for the Bronze Age. Uh, the to- there. See, I edited out the mess ups. The Secret of the Phantom Quarterback is the title of the main feature of the book, uh, written by Carrie Bates with art by Kurt Swan and Murphy Anderson and edited by Julie Schwartz. Now this story has not been reprinted and we will get to this in a minute but it the story was the basis of a comic from 2004, but like I said we'll get to that in a second. The story takes place, we began on Super Bowl Sunday and we meet the 200-pound idol of millions, slingin' Steve Lombard, quarterback of the Metropolis Meteors, as he's walking down the street on his way to Metropolis Stadium to quarterback his team in the Super Bowl, ironically. Suddenly, on a terrace above him, a mother drops her baby. Spotting this, Steve runs up and catches the baby, but at that moment, his knees give out, causing him enough pain that he actually seems to pass out. Hours later, he wakes up in the lab of Dr. Frederick Foe, Foe. We're going to go with Foe, who has been using his ultraviolet healing ray to cure Steve's knee problem. It works, but just to be safe, Dr. Foe gives him a booster dose. But as he does this, Foe's solar antenna, which absorbs and converts invisible ultraviolet rays into this healing ray, um, has a strange and very visible phenomenon occur as it comes, as something happens. It's hard to explain without the visual. The phenomenon is spawned by a large sunspot, the largest sunspot in 300 years, which just so happens to have a visitor. Superman is currently inside the sunspot, gathering information for the Metro Observatory, using some heat-resistant equipment. However, he's in a bit of a hurry because the scientists are expecting their readings, and Clark Kent is hours late in meeting Lois at the big game. Speaking of the game, Steve has just realized that he's two hours late for the game, and by the time he gets the TV turned on, there's only three minutes left, and his Metropolis meteors are down 12 nothing. As Steve wishes that he was at the game, that phenomenon I mentioned earlier takes on the form of Steve in his football uniform and flies to the stadium, Superman style. Meanwhile, Superman, after having just left the observatory, arrives at the stadium just in time to see a couple of guys running off with the Super Bowl receipts. After making quick work of the robbers and returning the money, he changes to Clark and meets up with Lois, interrupting her angry rant to point out that Lombard has apparently arrived on the field. Not surprisingly, this also surprises Steve. When he eventually calms down, he says that if he was calling the plays, he'd call 23X which, it just so happens, is the play that his double calls, and it gets the Meteors a quick touchdown. Continuing this pattern, and after the Meteors get the ball back, Lombard watches as his double scrambles for the game-winning touchdown as the seconds tick away. The next day, Lois is interviewing Steve, who has taken credit for his doubles-winning touchdown since he mysteriously disappeared, when Clark walks in, apparently late for the interview, which, of course, Lois is none too happy about. After introductions are made and Clark has to fake pain from Steve's handshake, Steve tries impressing Lois by demonstrating some football moves, but ends up knocking Clark through a projection screen, which ticks off Lois and leaves Clark having to control his anger. Elsewhere, the commissioner, not Gordon, angry about being caught in a downtown traffic jam, angrily declares that if he had his way, every parking lot in Metropolis would be cleared off and closed down. At this point, Lombard's double, now described as a form with no will, flies overhead, spurred on by the commissioner's angry rant. A block away, as Clark and Lois walk past the city parking lot after their interview, they see the quarterbacks smashing into the cars and throwing them around like footballs. For a change, Lois ditches Clark to call in the story, leaving Clark to find an alley to change the Superman real quick returning to the scene superman discovers that lombard's double is actually a phantom of swirling explosive energy and that he's super powerful as he headbutts the man of steel before before be throw, be, be throw, before throwing a car at him superman attempts to tackle the phantom quarterback see how i worked the title in there <laughs> but contact with it causes every atom of his body to flare up causing him great pain When he decides that he needs to use his anger he feels towards the real Lombard to focus. This sends the Phantom off again heading straight for the real Lombard. It is about to pulverize Lombard when Superman catches it. With every atom of his body fighting fighting? No. With every atom of his body again on fire due to contact with the Phantom, he tells it to return to where it came from, and it flies off with Superman in tow, returning to the sunspot that Superman was in the day before, and reverts to solar energy. The next day, Lombard goes on WGBS to confess that he dishonestly took credit for winning the Super Bowl, and to publicly retire from football. After he finishes, Morgan Edge walks up to him and offers him a job as the WGBS sportscaster to share the six o'clock report with Clark. Steve accepts, leaving Clark to slap himself on the head as he realizes that he'll be on the receiving end of all of Steve's insults from now on. And with that, Mike, since you're the guest star on this episode, what did you think about the story?
1: Um, First off, I, I, I like the cover a lot it's one of those covers from the silver and bronze age that I think were probably a cover first and a story idea. Second, um, you know, it's like, Hey, here's this weird cover. Now make a story out of it. Uh, and I'm a big fan of the Neil Adams, Superman flying across the logo uh, era of covers. Uh, even though personally, I think action has better covers in the bronze age than Superman does. I'll agree with that.
0: Yeah, for the most part, I agree, even though they're kind of squished, but because of the giant logo. Yeah,
1: (laughs) that's absolutely true. Um, (sighs) I I think the splash page is kind of goofy, but it's got a nice little mirror image to it where, you know, Superman is getting a car thrown him on one side, but is getting tackled as Clark Kent on the other. I think that's kind of cool. This is not murphy anderson and kurt swan's best issue but it's it's very serviceable and i really enjoyed the artwork uh, throughout the issue despite what some people have said about my opinion about kurt swan on this show
2: let's clarify what i said i said you're not a big fan and i actually you know to follow that up i went back and re listed. i said i appreciated that you don't automatically kneel and worship at the altar of kurt swan
3: yeah
1: i'm just I'm just giving you a, problem, <laughs> I'm had mean, a hard time. Um, just want it clarified. <laughs> page <laughs> page two, my two notes for here is one. Steve Lombard. Now, there was a, a couple episodes of The Incredible Hulk, one where David Banner was helping out with a football team and the other where he was in a wheelchair that had the same guest star who was a former football player whose name escapes me and steve Lombard to me looks like that guy
2: mm, i could see uh,
1: that uh he's very beefy he's got very 70s hair this is not the steve Lombard that we would eventually come to hate uh at least looks wise and he does have a swinging uh medallion around his neck and a, a nice flared collar so and uh why isn't he getting like driven to the um to the game. I mean, this is Super Bowl Sunday, and he's just literally walking <laughs> down the street.
0: I had a similar note. If not driving down, he would have like this whole entourage yeah. of people. I mean, granted, this is 73, so I think this is only like the fifth or sixth Super Bowl, but still.
1: Yeah, but still, it's he's the a Super
0: Bowl player. I mean, he's. he's, he's yeah, a, exactly.
1: I'm not saying he'd have a driver, but he'd probably at least have a sports car. It also professional. looks professional. Like it also looks like in that last panel that he just got kicked in the boys. So... Uh...
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh!
2: Not again!
0: <laughs> it does. Oh, my knees! Uh, pages three
1: through uh, three through five. Um, dude, why'd you take my unconscious body to your house? That makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> 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 I, I'm so glad I happened to be walking down the street and found somebody in, in, in great pain so that I can use... This uh, machine that's very much like, uh, again, to make a Hulk reference, it's kind of, kind of like the gamma radiation stuff from the Incredible Hulk series, almost. Uh, and he says it's the ultraviolet healing ray. Has he stumbled upon the purple healing ray from the uh, from the Amazons?
2: That was my note as well. I, I was gonna say that
0: too. Yeah, yeah. it's like. It I don't just, mean to keep stealing all exactly your notes. I'm
1: sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: that's all right. I mean. It just makes the episode shorter. Keep going.
1: The um, the scientist though looks like a very stock Kurt Swan character. Like if you removed the beard, I've seen this character a
2: thousand times. Not that I'm complaining about that. It just yeah, it struck me. Yeah, I know so... you've seen him. He's Roger Stern from the future. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go.
1: Um, cutting. Uh... Cutting up, uh, uh, or going cutting forward a little bit. I love the fact that on page seven, Superman calls the criminals uh, one of the criminals a chump. I never really thought of Superman as saying you're a chump, um, <laughs> but okay, that that's fine. One of my general notes about the issue is that I, I kind of dislike the fact that, especially in the very beginning, that all of Steve Lombard's uh, dialogue is football lingo. And I don't think all football players talk like that, but I see kind of where they were going for with that. Um, page nine reminded me of Superman's Secret Origin when John Corbin and Clark Kent shake hands for the first time, and Corbin tries to squeeze the hand, and Clark <laughs> squeezes right back. It's one of my favorite moments from that entire series. Um, but yeah, we get that with here, and it's the historic first meeting between Clark Kent and Steve Lombard, where he tackles Clark well actually not so much tackles but shoulder rams him so
0: yeah I was gonna say
1: <laughs> and, I, and I love Lois's reaction on page 10 you brute can't you see how delicate Clark is
0: <laughs> oh, Lois.
1: Um, I like their conversation too on page 11 you shouldn't have let Lombard get away with it Clark take away his cleats and his shoulder pads and he's he's still a 200 mountain of, pound mountain of muscle it's like yeah <laughs> yeah you take off his football gear he's still a big guy that's why he's playing football so just just to let you know I actually kind of liked the phantom quarterback as a villain for Superman Uh, not so much a villain but at least just somebody for him to fight throughout the issue Uh, and is it me or does Superman seem to get like knocked around really easy by this by this uh, solar energy thing yeah but I like that too because it adds drama to the story it's like I know he's going to win, obviously. He's Superman, it's his title. Um, but it but it, at least it made this creature a formidable foe. I also like the fact that Superman uses the anger he feels for Steve Lombard to get the thing to chase him. That was really cool. Uh page 15. Steve heroically covers Lois. Don't look, baby. We've had it. <laughs> that's that's not exactly what uh what i that's not the last words you should say to somebody steve it's just like it's it's going to be okay um i like though on page 16 that steve fesses up to the fact that he didn't play in the game uh and to me it's very realistic that edge would hire him not so much for his integrity but this happens where football players have some kind of scandal or sports figures have a scandal and then they come back later as a commentator. And yeah. so, I mean, it happens like in nanoseconds here. And there is that kind of wah, 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 you know, kind of element of the ending <laughs> that, you know, he's going to be around. And we even kind of get a facepalm from Clark Kent in that last panel. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Working. This is Excedrin, Excedrin moment n- number 264. Um, <laughs> but, um, but I hate Steve Lombard. I, I hate Steve Lombard with the fire of a thousand suns. I think that he was created for no other reason than for a comedy foil. And yes, most of his pranks that he tried to play on Clark would always backfire on him. And there was even, even much later in the bronze age, uh, not to spoil ahead too much. There's a really cool storyline where Clark Kent is fired from the daily planet. And he runs into Steve who had left WGBS at that point. They have a really nice conversation where you see that Steve has kind of matured as a character, but we're not there yet. We're still here at, I'm going to make fun of you. And, um, it, it just bugs me because it's the jock picking on the nerd, basically. And uh, he gets his comeuppance once or twice. There's a really cool, um, there's a really cool moment in a later uh, issue going towards 300 that I absolutely love uh, between Clark and Steve. But yeah, Steve Steve Lombard's a d bag, and uh, I'm just just not a big fan of him. But it was interesting to read his first appearance
2: hmm. did you ever read the harry potter books no okay then that analogy doesn't really work for you maybe the listening audience does but even steve lombard always hit me as dudley from harry potter where he was always picking on harry but and spoiler if you haven't seen read the seventh book it's not in the seventh movie but dudley does come out and say you know i did you know i do appreciate you to some extent and that is kind of you know, I don't know if you've ever met a bully, maybe that picked on you in high school, where later we're more on equal footing. And there's been that, you know, they've I've had a bully buy me a beer and apologize. But Steve is that bully. And as you mentioned, he does progress mildly. There is a bit of a redemption for him down the road, allegedly. Yeah,
1: no, but, but uh, no, just I, I really enjoyed this story overall. It's, it's kind of goofy. And it's not like the most monumental Bronze Age Superman story ever, but it w- certainly wasn't the worst. And uh, I, just, uh, I just, I just, I just kind of dug it in the end. And uh, boy, these clothes are loud.
0: <laughs> yeah, especially Steve's. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love his wide ties.
1: But that's all I've got on this one.
2: Okay, um, Dave. Yeah, I got a few things to say <laughs> no a, about superman uh, about superman yeah. <laughs> hosted by scott gardner which you can find at 22 to your freaks.libson.com
0: and we just guaranteed that he'll listen to this episode good job
2: man good job i try <laughs> <laughs> on page two i kind of had a similar note about him getting kicked in the boys that whole not again but looking at the actual diagram on the second panel did she just punt that baby because wouldn't the baby fall straight down from the ledge if it was dropping? There's actually some momentum behind that.
0: Yeah. Um, looks like the baby would have had to jump or she would have had to like trip and throw it.
2: Yeah.
1: Hey, Lombard, think fast.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I like on the last panel on page three, I don't know why this cracks me up, but he's, Steve's going, hey, don't hit me there. Where do you want him to, where do you want future Roger Roger Stern to hit you, Steve? Show me on the doll.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He's just been hitting the nuts, man. Now he's, wait a
2: minute. He's just been hitting the nuts and now he's getting hit in the knee. Dang. Yeah. you can't win. Uh, Page four, the whole sun sequence. Did either of you go to all-star Superman, the opening of all-star Superman? Hmm. I see it. But no, I didn't.
1: Yeah, I, I, I didn't. I didn't think about that. But yeah, I, I just was more of comparative size of the Earth to the Sun uh, thing for the Julius Schwartz science fact of the issue.
2: I do like that. That was yeah. another note I had. Is I absolutely was kind of taken with that. Uh, page seven. Jumping down to page seven, that fire hydrant knocks all of those thieves' clothes off, and then Superman just leaves them there. That is. Uh, Is this a code-approved issue?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, to be honest, it
2: doesn't knock their clothes off. But he does result in them taking their clothes off and leaves them standing on the side of the road. Well, yeah. Why does he take the money and leave and not take the criminals?
1: Because he's really taking the money for himself, and he's going to later tell the cops that the criminals still have the money and that they (laughs) stashed it somewhere. And he's going to laugh at them.
2: He's gonna get that bearskin rug he always wanted for the fortress. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but no, that that does just that. That seemed kind of stuck out, and I kept trying to find a logic to it. Uh, sometimes you just have to let things go. Yes, I do like Lois being Lois uh, with her switch on, if you know what I mean. With the oh, we really didn't notice you were late, Clark, because Clark is obviously blocking. You know her her machinations. Mm-hmm. She's and uh, yeah. I can't use the term that I would like to, but he's stifling the mood in the room, if you know what I mean. And I don't think Steve noticed, because I I just don't... I think Steve's more in love with himself, obviously. He wouldn't notice that Lois is throwing herself at him. Like, she could put on Barry White and, you know, light candles. I don't think he would get into it. He was just look at his muscles. (laughs) (laughs) Check out these pecs. Yep, and then Clark uh, just kind of ruins what Lois thought was kind of going somewhere.
1: Check out my lion medallion around my neck.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah JP, you know what it you like.
2: Um, page 12. The Phantom Quarterback immediately made me think of the Sandman Saga. Sort of another replication of a, of a character, this time a football player of all things. And, you know, as much as I like the concept, it did kind of feel like a repeat, but more specifically on this page on page 12 the final panel Superman looks like the Alfred E. Newman Superman from the Silver Age In that
1: panel,
2: <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> I but, never thought about that but yeah. you have a point <laughs> but it's kind of redeemed on uh, page 13 on the top panel and the bottom panel those are actually good Kurt Swan action shots somewhat mm-hmm. I mean the, the football player looks a little awkward but Superman looks good in these
1: No, I'll I'll totally agree with that. I'm not normally a fan of his fight scenes, but starting like on page 11, when the quarterback, the phantom quarterback, crashes feet first into the car, that's really kind of cool. Yeah. And and the uh, the shot on page 13 of one Superman getting tackled, and then the bottom panel of him going in for the punch that it's really it's really dynamic for a Swan action
2: sequence. Yeah, admittedly, mm-hmm. Swan is is he's awkward in terms, and we've talked about this before. He's awkward mm-hmm. in his in his compositions for action scenes. You, I mean, we have seen Swan grow in the last, you know, the last year's worth of issues, which is odd because he was kind of stagnant for a while, repeating the same thing. But that was under Weisinger, who was very specific and very, uh, I don't want to say straight edge. That's not the term I'm looking for, but very demanding. He <laughs> didn't both. drink or smoke. <laughs> Exactly. Sorry. That's why but he was he was very strict <laughs> on what he wanted. He was very specific. Mm-hmm. We're gonna do it this way. And they built a factory of Superman stories and when Julius Schwartz came on, he's like, Let's tell some good stories, kinda break the mold a little. And that's when you saw swans starting to really break out. And by the time you get to the end of the era with whatever happened to the man of tomorrow, you do see a completely different swan that you would than you would see. Well, not a completely different, but a very drastically different swan that you than what you would see in the Silver Age. And shots like these are where he's actually evolving. We actually see that.
1: But where where Swan always excelled was in backgrounds and in making the characters look like there's something going on in their heads. There's life in his characters. And, you know, I mentioned the clothes, and that's more of a compliment than anything else, because the clothes, uh, even on, like, the background people, they're detailed it's not that they just drew like average suit and you know over and over again on the background characters you know when when you see the city street especially from like a distance there's there's cars there's you know buildings and all that when they're in that room where clark is getting tackled you know he he draws like about three dozen chairs just sitting there and you mm-hmm. don't get that from a lot of artists uh, especially in the future during the like the late 80s and the 90s you wouldn't get that they would just be you know if they had any background at all it would be sparse but here metropolis is a real city
3: mhm
0: mhm well see there's a there's a reason that i mean i'm not trying to compare him but there's this is one of those things that there's a reason why George Perez has looked at Kurt Swan as one of his artistic heroes, influences, what have you. This is the kind of thing George Perez would pick up on and, well, take to another another level, mm-hmm. but this is the kind of stuff that he would pick up on, you know, making sure that everything had a detailed background to try to make everything look as... Believable as possible because when you have the believable stuff, it makes it's like with the movies when you when you make it look believable, it makes the super stuff look you know really super.
2: Mm-hmm. Versimilitude.
0: Yes. Yes. <laughs> and
2: <laughs> exactly.
0: And so they you know Kurt started. In fact, um I don't even have the book out with the. Um, I know Kurt Swan used to be really big on the details. They had to act, he had to actually learn to cut back on them
2: in order to meet the deadlines. Deadlines
0: and not kill his inkers.
2: Don't yeah, <laughs> there's a,
1: It was taken from an interview, but there's an essay in, um, what was that book called? It came out in '88. It was like Superman it had a bunch of essays in it about superman
2: what was uh, that well i don't know if it came out in 88 i have a book uh the man of oh crap let me look on the bookshelf this is great audio because i know the one you're talking about but it's uh they all blur <laughs> superman at 50 the persistence of a thank you thank you oh uh, okay
1: um, and he talks about how he would when he would draw a crowd scene, he'd do it really detailed and and have all of the people in there. And one of the inkers took him aside and said, "Look, let me show you how to do this without breaking my hand."
0: <laughs> yeah, they. Um, I think I read this. I can't remember the title of it either, but it was basically a Kurt Swan biography.
2: Oh, bo- uh, and... Boys of Steel. No, that's
0: and to Ignore me. That's and <laughs> Schuster. I'll take that off for you. Thank um, you. I'm not having a good weekend. <laughs> and <laughs> and it's only Monday. So the first half of the book was basically Kurt Swan's career and everything. Then the second half was just um, – I can't think of the guy's name, but he was going through – I think it was Eddie Zeno or something – going through and interviewing a whole bunch of people about Kurt Swan. Um, you know, like right, I think he talked to Jerry Ordway and um, – Dan Jurgens, Roger Stern, John Byrne, Alan Moore, Murphy Anderson, several of his, you know, several of the inkers that he worked with, and, all, and Al Williamson, I think, was in there. And when they, the, they specifically were showing how, when he first started back in the 40s, he had tons of details. I mean, he would if he was supposed to draw like a wooden ship, like a a boat or a ship. He would draw the wooden boat and they would have all the little nails. You could and then you could see some you could see the grain in the you know, detail in there. And they would they would, he really had to cut back. And as you can see in this issue, he still has a lot of detail. So it just if you just can if you kinda of think about that, he really I mean, as much as he's cut back, he still leaves a lot in. What were we start? What did, what started this whole thing? Oh, his art. Yeah, talking yes. about the,
2: the, that his compositions. You know, I mean, we were talking about the detail, but his compositions in terms of the action scenes were always kind of awkward. Yes. and here we actually get a good dynamic shot. That was how we yes. started out. By the way, that book is well, Kurt Swan: A Life in Comics.
0: That's it. And one of the things I read in there is that Kurt Swan, uh, he even when they started doing the Bronze Age relaunch. He was already getting a lot of flack for his artistic style, so he was. Already, he was. I think he was working with Joe Kubert that time to try to learn some new tricks to kind of enhance his art. And he he'll learn it. He'll kind of go back to his comfort zone, and then the you know someone will say something to him, and he'll go back again and go to a different artist, maybe a Carmine Infantino actually I think is the one he was working with at this point. Um but he'll go back and then learn, you know, try to pick up a few tricks to improve his art and you notice it during the bronze age. Every t- I mean by the time he's at the end of it he's he's gone back and, you know, not really studied but kind of been tutored by like Carmine Infantino and Fantino and Joe Kubert and I don't know several other artists. Yeah, he's not the best, he, he's not the most dynamic artist, but, you know, as David said, we are seeing him try to grow here.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Definitely.
2: But uh, that's all the page-specific notes. I, I did have weird recollections reading this of NFL Super Pro. <laughs> <laughs> you nice.
1: shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs>
2: But That's that, a I mean, Marvel this was book, a f- we're not allowed to Yeah, we're not allowed to talk about that The injunction's still in place But no, this was this was a, a great fun issue I actually do like Steve Lombard as the heel As somebody who just kind of gives Clark the hard time In addition to Lois But I thought this was a great introduction, a great issue I had a lot of fun reading it
0: Well, I guess it's my turn then um, My notes <laughs> Well, you guys kind of picked my notes apart Um oh, Sorry sorry <laughs> no that's fine um, but like like Mike said on page two you got super you got Steve walking to the Super Bowl <laughs> first of all the city would be going crazy anyway if the but if the Super Bowl is in metropolis but to have the Super Bowl the quarterback of one of the teams in the Super Bowl walking to the stadium he would not be enjoying a leisurely walk I don't care what hour of the, or what hour of the day it is, even if it is early on a Sunday morning. Um, page three, um, and actually several other pages, because it involves Steve's boots. I'm not that into 70s fashion, and I know they had some heel stuff going on then, but Steve looks like he's wearing women's boots.
1: Yeah, I'll agree with that. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it and on one page, they're yellow, and that's kind of gross. But it, it it just looked kind of weird to me. Uh, page six. Um, when we see the two robbers trying to run away from the stadium, there would be a ton more security. Even though it's only 1973, there'd be a ton more security at a Super Bowl.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: They these this would have been two. If it if it was gonna happen, this would have had to be like two people out of a whole squadron of robbers and they would have the rest of the police force standing outside <laughs> to catch anyone running out by the time that these guys would have gotten out there. So, yeah. Um, let's see, page 8 on panel 4, the sportscaster guy, that's or the announcer, that's talking. I believe that's supposed to be Howard Cosell. I'm not sure. Um, he gets mentioned later on in the issue, which is the only reason I think it is him. But... Um, he was a well-known if not well-liked uh sportscaster of the day so it would make sense that they would throw him in there even though with him covered up they don't they, they don't have to say it's actually him um page 11 i was not aware that commissioners were driven around by chauffeurs and limos um granted i don't know what he's the commissioner of that was my question <laughs> but I think he's the you know commissioner of the uh I don't know. Is he commissioner
1: of police? Is he commissioner of the football?
0: Because what I'm thinking is, if he's you know, (laughs) if he's the commissioner of police, getting driven around in a limo, Jim Gordon's been getting jipped for years. Well, poor guy, (laughs) he drives a beat-up sedan. Well, Metropolis just has a better budget for the uh,
1: for for their police force, (laughs) Uh, simply because of the tourism. I mean, who wants to live in Gotham?
0: Yeah, good point. It's dark there all the time. And their hero wears a bat costume. But, and then page 13, I think it was panel 4. Uh, that one image everyone was, we were all talking about, with it was one of the dynamics. That, you can see an image like that being inspiration, an inspiration to someone like Tom Grummet. Mm-hmm. When I first saw that, that looked very much like a Tom Grummet Superman about to go on the attack image. And so, uh, yeah, even though this is like 20 years before he'd even be drawing the character. But I thought that looked very Tom grummet. And overall, though, um, I didn't think it was a bad story. And in the large scheme of things, it is a pretty big issue, Uh, even though they don't really advertise that it's going to be a big deal. But uh, Steve's a pretty important member of the supporting cast throughout the rest of the Bronze Age. And he, it, and while it's a, to, a completely different character, and he doesn't play as big a role after the crisis, he still comes back in the post-crisis, and I don't know if we've seen him in the New Fifty Two yet. David would know that better than I would, but um, we have not. Okay, thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he he comes back, and he's actually in the post-crisis. He gets an upgrade to the a full GPS anchor. Mhm. Uh and that we get to see him a few times but he's nowhere near as his... he also uh has a hairpiece. He does. I did not know that.
1: If you read the but... News Time special that came out uh between the end of you know for a friend and adventures of Superman number 500. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a little thing in there about how his toupee came off in the middle of a of a newscast.
0: Uh, I gotta go find that and read that again Because I haven't seen that in forever And I would love to read that while you guys are doing that on your show But anyway um, Yes, so So it's actually a pretty big deal Because this is a character that sticks around For another Probably almost 30 years Before we get to a point where we don't hear about him anymore So, yeah That's all I had to say about it Does anyone have any or mm-hmm. anyone else have something they want to throw in before we move on?
2: No, I'm good. I'm good.
0: Okay. All right. As I mentioned earlier, the the while this story has never been reprinted, this was the basis for a, another book uh, several years later. Basically, like Mike mentioned, this seemed to be a cover. Julie Schwartz and Mort Weisinger, and I'm sure several of the other editors at DC at the time, back in the silver and bronze age, used to use a concept where they would commission a cover, such as the one we're looking at, and then hand it to the hand it to one of their stable of writers and say, "Make a story that fits this cover." Well, in 2004, DC Comics decided they were going to do a uh, pay tribute to Julie Schwartz. And they released a whole series of specials called DC Comics Presents, featuring uh, different char- characters that Julie edited, uh, such as Batman, Flash, Hawkman, and Superman, and the Justice League. Um, and at first, it was just going to be a tribute to them, um, but during production of these books, uh, Julie Schwartz passed away, so it became... Well, it still maintained a tribute, but now it was like a... Memorial? Memorial? Thank you. Memorial kind of tribute. One of the books, the Superman book, actually they decided to use this cover as the basis for the stories. The cover was redrawn by Adam Hughes, who basically keeps the cover the same. He just kind of modernizes everything. Superman looks more of his more modern take, which at that point wasn't really that different other than the S being bigger. But of course the quarterback has... You know, a be, better, more modern helmet and pads and out, and uniform. I almost called it an outfit. Wow. Um, the two stories that were in the book, uh, the first one... Oh, that was the other thing. With these stories, what they did is... I'm not completely sure if it was on purpose. I think the idea was uh, to have a more modern team on one story and have... Kind of contemporaries for shorts on the other story? Am I right? Anyone know?
1: Uh, I forget how it worked. I, I think
0: yeah. it, um, that's as good a theory as any. <laughs> okay, that'll work. Um, on the Superman book, the first story was called The Phantom Quarterback, ironically. And uh, they got Stan the Man Lee uh, to come in and write a story with Darwin Cook as the artist, uh, J Bone as the inker, and. Mike Carlin is the editor and this story really the idea was it was supposed to be uh, inspired by this cover like it would have been back in Julie's day this story is real (laughs) far removed from the story we've just covered Uh, Mike can probably tell you more about it because he just recently read through the stuff but well, actually Mike why don't you tell everyone about it Uh, Well, the the first story by Stan
1: Lee and and Darwin Cook was kind of silly. Yeah, it's Stan Lee, you know, writing the traditional Superman, but it almost seemed like he was making fun of the character uh, more than anything else. The the Darwin Cook artwork was amazing, though. I like his work quite a bit. Uh, It's a little different from the other comic book work he's done a little more cartoony but uh that makes sense because darwin cook was a storyboard artist uh, in fact he designed the opening credits to batman beyond as a matter of fact in addition to working yes. on the various series the second story though by paul Levitz and keith giffen is really cool it's giffen being inked by al milgram and superman looks really good throughout most of the um uh, most of the story and Steve Lombard is actually taking steroids in this story to kind of make him, cause he's more of a washed up football player uh, throughout the tale. And so at the end, he ends up admitting to his drug use and there's a little thing that, well, maybe the, maybe I can sell a story to the daily planet uh, about how steroids can really kill you. But it, but I, I enjoyed the second story much more than the first. It's uh, really kind of cool, actually.
0: Yeah, I remember when I when I read it, I really liked the back... The uh, It's not really a backup. It's just the co-story, co-feature. And, and I remember uh, liking... I'm sorry.
1: No, go ahead. Sorry.
0: Okay. I remember liking it a lot more, too, and it actually... And I don't know that they were necessarily trying to do this, but it definitely... It actually kind of felt like a Bronze Age Superman story, or a story that Julie Schwartz might have actually you know commissioned or edited or had published in one of his books whereas the Stanley one like you said felt you know it felt more like and with the art on it it felt kind of more like one of the DC kids books Mm -hmm. but the secret uh, the the other story which actually was called Secret of the Phantom Quarterback totally felt like it could have been published right along with this one that we covered. Yeah, it's so almost
1: that... it, it's almost like this. Where the Superman special that came out in '92 was a then modern retelling of the Sandman saga. This felt very much like that. Like it was a, a modern day retelling of that story. Uh, there is a cute little Easter egg though, uh, when one of the people talking to Lombard goes, "Still here, Lombard." Thought you cleared out with Fox and Broom. Only ones still drilling are Bates and Megan and that Pasco kid. So in like one panel, they <laughs> mentioned half the artists Julius Schwartz worked with and it's stable.
0: And actually there's... O- I'm
1: sorry. I was about what? to say, all they need is O'Neill and uh, they'd, be, <laughs> they'd have the complete set.
0: Well, I, I'm actually looking at this at the Grand Comics database and they mentioned that there's also a note there's incidental characters named Kurt and Murphy uh, obviously named after Kurt's one and Murphy Mm -hmm. Anderson who did the story uh, art on the original story so (laughs) this one see it's like well obviously Levitz was did uh, Schwartz edited Legion for a while right? Schwartz? Yeah. Did he ever? Okay. Well maybe I don't know then. But Levitz and Griff, uh, Giffen actually seem to actually make this a homage to Schwartz and and the Superman he edited, whereas Stan Lee just seemed to kind of make a funny little story. I don't yeah. know. Yeah,
1: no, I totally agree with that.
0: Now, the more I think about it. Because, I mean, this is the one with all the little Easter eggs and the the names, and then, yeah, Stan's is all... Granted, Stan was over at Marvel, obviously, when Schwartz was in his heyday, so it's not like he was hanging out with them too much, I guess.
1: I know that Stan Lee and Carmine Infantino had lunch once a week. Really?
0: uh, And talked to... Yeah,
1: but apparently, like... Outside the offices, even though there was like the the whole rivalry between the two, everyone got along and everyone drank together. So you know, it's, it's a small community of creators. So that would make oh, sense. Okay, cool.
0: Um, but yeah, so that came out in with a October ninth or nineteen. Wow, October two thousand four cover date. So uh, it was right after Julie Schwartz died. And in fact there's a whole uh memoriam written by Alan Moore about Julie in that issue as well. Wow. So those two
2: don't necessarily go together.
0: <laughs> no, but hey, they both uh they worked on that whatever happened to the man of tomorrow.
1: True. And so, for the man who has everything.
0: That's right, Man Who Has Everything. Recently covered on Back to the Bins. Yep. A special episode that they didn't ask David or I to be a part of. Yep. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we'll let it slide, though. Um, Damn it. Well, okay, fine. Sorry, I'll no, let it slide. Sorry, my brainiac
2: actually just fell over. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <Same> <laughs> fig- oh, okay. Same figure. <laughs> <laughs> did the monkey
0: fall off? going around. Yeah, did, the monkey did, did fall the monkey off. F- I don't even see the uh,
2: monkey. Anyway. Oh, that's right.
0: That said, he's just lost his monkey.
2: Uh, which sounds much dirtier than I intended it to be. Um, it's actually, anyway. actually quite funny because uh, I'm glad I had the mute button on because I was actually just cursing up a storm a few minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that would have been fun to have to bleep. Beep, 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 beep. Well, no, You mentioned uh, the Murphy, or the Kurt Swan autobiography, and I looked it up on Amazon. I'm like, oh, that's cool. I, I may need to put that in my wish list. And I happened to see the Lego set was now $19.99 with free shipping. I'm like, oh, well, put that in the cart. And it can't ship to my address for some reason.
0: (laughs) Well, here, send it to me, and then I'll bring it to you one of these days.
2: Uh, That's okay, Charlie. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Worth a shot.
0: Everyone knows that baby Kal-El was sent from Krypton to Earth by his parents, Jor-El and Lara, shortly before the planet was torn apart by violent internal pressures. But what else do we really know about Krypton and its history? Journey with us now as we explore... The Fabulous World of Krypton. Uh, the backup story, now that we're ready for it. The Headband Warriors of Krypton, written by Elliot S. Magin. An artist was Dave Cockrum, who does not make a name for himself ever again. Uh, no. And, of course, was edited by Julie Schwartz. You now, were very sarcastic
2: stu- about the Dave Cockrum, correct?
0: Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Make yes. you sure. I, I'm aware. Dave Cockrum goes on, just to clarify, Dave Cockrum does, um, he becomes pretty popular with Legion fans as he mm-hmm. redesigns many of the costumes and stays on Legion of Superheroes for a while before moving over to Marvel and helping Len Ween and Kurt... Uh, Chris Claremont relaunched the X-Men before leaving the book so that John Byrne can draw it and then coming back to the book for a while. So he's pretty well known. Well, those are probably the biggest things he's known for Ready as far as, as I know. But, yeah, so Dave Cockrum does make a big name for himself. Thank you, David, for making it, for I, helping me clarify.
2: I am <laughs> I was just making sure. It was yeah, a question. Just sure. That's okay. It's okay. It's all right.
0: Um, we still love you, um, and of course, this story, Somewhat. like many, <laughs> well, yeah, uh, this story, like many of the other uh, Krypton stories, were, was reprinted in Best of DC Number Forty from September of '83. And this story starts off in Argo City one morning as young, and this is fun because I love Kryptonian names. Young Nim Ed is heading off to school before his mom stops him to make him put on his headband. Uh, when he complains that it's one of that he's one of Rikar's marauders storming Takane's fortress by air and that warriors don't wear headbands she explains that his history is wrong and corrects him by telling the story of Rikar and cue the holiday special music the story begins on the wedding day of Prince Adam I mean tribal healer Rikar (laughs) and teacher (laughs) Jani (laughs) um Uh, It was tribal leader Rikar and teacher Jani, I guess. Enslaved people who live outside of the fortress of Takane. Or Takane? Takane. Rikar has been trying to figure out a way to start a revolt, but it was impossible to get past the fort. Whoa! Did someone fall over? (laughs)
2: I'm okay. I'm fine. Okay. Okay. I'll I'll be on mute for a few minutes here.
0: Okay, if you pass out, just let us know. we Will do. Okay. Rikar has been trying to figure out a way to start a revolt, but it was impossible to get past the fortress guards with weapons. But as Rikar and Janny exchange ceremonial headbands, he gets an idea. The next day, he supplies the other slaves with pills that will give them rashes, but nothing more. When the guards... Let's see. Where was I? When the guards notice the rashes, Rikar suggests suggests it might be the Gorlick Plague. Takane, furious that his labor force has been depleted for the day, orders Ricard to have them cured by the next day. The next day, no longer covered in rashes, but now sporting headbands, the slaves return to work, convincing Takane that the headbands have cured them. Takane, not trusting the slaves, makes sure that his guards check every headband to make sure that they aren't using them to smuggle weapons. After verifying that they aren't smuggling anything in, the slaves go to work. After some time, Janny fakes a fainting spell. While this gets the guards' attention and keeps them busy, the slaves use their headbands to apparently choke the life out of the guards, or at least make them pass out from lack of air. Now armed with the guards' weapons, as well as using their headbands as slingshots, the slaves overpower all of the guards, and Ricard chases Takani further into the fortress, and not wanting any harm to come to himself, Takani quickly signs over the fortress and its rule to the people. Because of this, the headband became the symbol of free men all over Krypton and is now a customary part of Kryptonian dress attire, and Nemed decides that he's going to use his to overthrow the slave masters at school, too. The end. I wish you were joking. (laughs) I I like that ending, though. That's
1: it's like, wow, you totally did not get the meaning of the (laughs)
0: story. Yeah, it's like it's like, well, it's a pointless story, but now he likes headbands. So, um, well, I don't know how many what uh, how much notes we have on a short story like this, but um, Mike, what do you have?
1: Um, I really like these fabulous World of Krypton backups at least all the ones that I've read. Uh, I read a bunch of them last year when I picked up that World of Krypton trade paperback, which is really weird because it starts off with the John Byrne miniseries and then reprints a bunch of Bronze Age backup Fabulous Worlds of Krypton, which don't go together at all, but whatever. Um, that makes I, uh, sense. I like the for lack of a better term, biblical feel to these stories as well. It's like whenever they go to ancient Krypton, it's, it's almost like they're telling the story of David and Goliath or, you know, the, when the walls of Jericho fell and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, this one's really cool mainly because one, it is nice to see Prince Adam, uh, originally lived on Eternia. (laughs) Uh, I mean, Krypton before migrating to Eternia and changing his name. um, but it's just like, you know, they overthrow their oppressors by using their headbands as slingshots. And it's and, and, and on one hand it's kinda like well, that's kinda corny, but on the other hand, it's got that I am Spartacus feel to it. And I just hate the fact that they just let the the evil ruler go. It's just like you sign over, we'll just let you go. It's like, no, kill him. <laughs> He's made hit him with experience. the rock. Hit him with a hit him with a rock.
2: Um, rock. rock, rock. I threw a rock, rock. at him. But uh, I, no, I, I, It was a Galaxy Quest reference. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I really enjoyed the story, and I love the ending, where uh, where the mother realizes too late that the story has taken on another meaning to her son.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that backfired <laughs> just a little bit. I would have liked to kind of do a follow up and find out what what if the kid actually goes through with his plan. Yeah, but except the son. Kryptonian police That would be terrible. <laughs> uh, try that again, because you
1: kind of cut out there. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, but then the Kryptonian police would come and tase him, and it. Would, oh, okay. It would be Don't
0: awful. tase me, bro.
2: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, fun stuff. David. Uh, I, the headband is actually kind of an interesting point in terms of the design from, from the Jerry Siegel, Joe Schuster standpoint. And Michael pointed out the biblical feel, the headband actually does have a biblical basis in, in Jewish tradition from the biblical era. So when they designed Krypton, obviously a lot of inspiration came from Moses and, you know, being two Jewish kids, it came from the Torah. So the headband is actually quite relevant. And I kind of like that, you know, Decades and gener- almost a generation later, they're kind of explaining, "Oh, this is why the Kryptonians wear it." But I—that's kind of the biggest basis that I enjoyed this story on was, "Oh, okay, so a design element that came from the culture of these two creators is kind of being, for lack of a better term, retconned into building a bigger, broader backstory for our characters, if that makes sense."
3: Oh,
2: yeah. But that—that that was kind of my basis. It was. And I, I do like, as, as Michael pointed out, I do like that uh, Prince Adam being kind of the inverse of Superman, where Superman went from an alien world to Earth. Prince Adam was born of an Earthling from an, 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 on another planet. Oh, uh-huh. wait, wait, wait. <laughs> That's not Prince Adam. <laughs> Still isn't, no. But no, yeah, it does. Mo- it really Prince does Adam's look like it. A...
1: Prince Adam's mom was an astronaut.
2: Yep. That, uh,
1: traveled to Eternia.
2: That could be a fun topic for another show. Well, you guys will be covering that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Eventually. Eventually, we will get to He-Man. World's but Finest.
0: I have number. all sorts of cool music for it. What was that?
2: Was that World's... What was the issue of World's Finest that that occurred in?
0: Michael? Uh,
2: uh, it doesn't DC occur Comics in World's Was there it DC go. Comics Presents? I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: And there's... And then at one point, there is a... Uh, insert in Mm -hmm. several issues Mm -hmm. of books that came out one particular month that has Superman teaming up with He-Man again. And I have to say, when Kurt Swan draws a He-Man, he looks very close to what they used for, what Filmation used for the cartoon.
1: Yes, he does. Yes,
0: definitely. Wow, it's amazing. Um, Are you done, Dave? Yeah, that was just... Well, that wasn't nice. Is that all you had to say? It is. (laughs) Thank you very much, Mr. Niemeyer. Hey, you're no problem, Mr. Weeder. Um or v- Viter. I uh, don't try anyway. it. Vader. Yeah, I won't. It's Vader. Vader. It's yes. Vader. <laughs> Vader. Um well I don't really have much to say. It's like you know, it is a short story. Um I had a Prince Adam joke, but I think we've kind of run that into the ground at this point. Um but he does totally look like either Prince Adam or He Man in one of his alternate armors, even though we're about ten Years early, um, otherwise I didn't think it was a bad story. Um, it works as a short page story, exp- exp- yeah. especially since it is the—I'm guessing because since they reprint it later, this is going. This is the canonical um, explanation of why Kryptonians wear headbands, uh, which I think is cool that they finally explained. Uh, I didn't think the art was too bad Uh, I've seen Cockrum's work be better than this Uh, but really I'm not a huge fan of his uh, uh, outside of what he did on X-Men so I'm not much of a judge on that but yeah I thought it was a fun fun little story the end
2: and I agree I'm James the leader and I support this message (laughs) (laughs)
0: oh that's for one to grow on isn't it yeah one to grow
2: on and that's how you make bombs out of household items
0: (laughs) (laughs) and now you know and knowing is half the battle G.I. Joe (laughs) yay
1: the other half is not
0: dying (laughs) 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 Well, wait there's that one shirt that the other half is red lasers and blue lasers. Yes. <laughs> and if there's one geeky thing I've been able to teach my wife, she has that memorized.
2: Yeah, that's awesome.
0: Whenever whenever someone mentions it, the other half is red lasers and blue lasers. <laughs> that's my girl. <clears throat> well, why don't we play a
2: couple of promos and come back with Action Comics?
0: That sounds like a good idea. Mike, do you have anything against that? Uh, No. Do, do, Yay! I choice, do I have a choice in the matter? I mean, <laughs> no, not, not really. No. no, you're the guest. <laughs> I was just trying to be nice. <laughs> okay, we'll be right back.
3: After these messages, we'll be right
1: back. December 7th. Earth 2. 1941. A world very much like our own, yet slightly different. A date which will live in infamy. A world at war. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled, To battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents... The The All-Star
3: Squadron.
1: The Tales of the Justice Society of America, every Friday, at 2 twotruefreaks.libson.com.
2: The Hulk on Podcasts.
3: Hulk like podcasts. Hulk listen to podcasts while Hulk smash.
2: The Hulk on Peter David.
3: Hulk like to read Peter David comics. Hulk have problem making words. HULK WRITE DOWN Peter David wrote a seminal run on The Incredible Hulk for 12 years. Some of the most provocative, compelling stories came from this era, filled with striking psychological overtones, bold character developments, and sharp humor. Along with artists like Todd McFarlane, Dale Keown, and Gary Frank, Peter David took The Incredible Hulk, and the comic book medium as a whole, to new heights.
2: The Hulk on...
3: Peter David Podcasts. Uh, not find Peter David Podcasts. Hulk get mad. Hulk smash!
2: Hey folks, in order to appease the rampaging Hulk, there is an Incredible Hulk podcast devoted to Peter David. Pad Smash, an Incredible Hulk podcast, looks at the entire Peter David run on the Hulk, issue by issue, in a bi weekly format. Join me, J. David Weider, on a journey through the saga of Old Jade Jaws at www.IncredibleHulkSmash.com. Incredible Hulk Hulk and all related characters copyright Marvel Comics. Pat Smash is not responsible for gamma radiation sickness, smashed MP3 players, overturned vehicles, tanks thrown through the ceiling, injured supervillains on the lawn, gamma bomb detonations, property damage from debris deep-rooted psychological damages as a result of intense child abuse resulting in an alternate self-destructive personality with the strength of an atom bomb or anal leakage.
1: supermanhomepage.com
2: superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in action comics magazine and we're back this time to look at action comics 424 cover dated june 1973 this had an on sale date of march 29th 1973 of course editor was Julius julia schwartz with a nicholas Cardi cover And the cover shows Gorilla Grodd using Superman as a propeller by way of his cape. It is awesome and reminiscent of the King Kong movie, which had him uh, with Jeff Bridges, which had him on the rooftops of the World Trade Center. Mm -hmm. Except he wasn't spinning anybody around with like a propeller. That would have added to that movie.
0: That would have been so cool.
2: Yeah. But this is uh, (laughs) the story is Gorilla Grodd's grandstand play written by Elliot S. Magan, penciled by Kurt Swan, inked by Murphy Anderson. The story begins deep in africa in gorilla city which is home of super advanced apes hidden from the world by a mental force field created by solivar the gorilla chieftain and this is the origin point for the flash villain gorilla grod who has been imprisoned in a cage with a treadmill to keep him worn down physically and in one fell swoop the force field is destroyed at the same time grod escapes which is convenient Solivar is more concerned with the force field, since that means that the outside world will now discover Gorilla City, and they're going to have to learn how to live with that world. In one panel, we learn that Grodd used the power of the force field to overload his cage, and he is now seeking a mind transfer device that he conveniently hid in the jungle. Meanwhile, in New York City, Clark Kent and Lois Lane... New York City! Thank you, I'm glad somebody did it. (laughs) Clark
0: Kent... Get a rope. (laughs)
2: Clark, Kitt, and Lois Lane are researching Easter parades for a documentary on Easter parades, which I'm sure is nothing beside the plight of the Maine potato farmer. <laughs> and Clark gets a call from Morgan Edge to report on Solivar's appearance at the United Nations. Lois and Clark rush to the UN, where Solivar addresses the gathering and asks for protection, but the Cong- because the Congo and the Sudan have both tried to claim Gorilla City... Now, outside the assembly, outside the building, Gorilla Grodd appears, disarms the guards, and starts pounding on the ground hard enough to rumble the building. So everyone in the building begins to rush out, and as Clark follows Lois out the door, he taps a wall, which brings the whole thing down, giving him a chance to switch into Superman and doing more damage than Gorilla Grodd was actually doing. Superman and Grodd actually begin to fight, and Grodd throws the Man of Steel out to sea, where he hits up against a passing boat. Grod continues his assault, thinking that all he needs to do is defeat the, hu- the world's greatest hero, and they will be eating out of the palm of his hand. Superman, not one to go down without a fight, spins the water quickly to create a whirlpool, which Grod stops with a stomp of his mighty foot. And the water crashes down upon the two of them, and Grod rises from the deep to throw the lifeless body of Superman to shore. A nearby doctor confirms that Superman is dying of his injuries and loads him aboard an ambulance as Solovar rushes at Grodd. Solovar uses all of his mind force and subdues Grodd. And Lois is beside herself with grief over the fact that Superman is dying. When Clark Kent appears beside her and comforts her, and Lois tells Clark that all this time she suspected that Clark is Superman and she hoped it was true, and now Superman is gone... Clark helps Lois kind of man up and give an interview to Solivar, who has something to say to the new medium. Wait, Clark Kent? Wait, aren't Clark Kent and Superman the same guy? What shenanigans are going on here? Turns out Clark sneaks away, and Superman comes rushing down from the sky and begins to beat the tar out of Solivar. Superman explains that he could feel Grodd's mind powers, aka his mind bullets, preventing the Man of Steel from hitting him as hard as he wanted to, ...and took a dive to regroup, so slowing down his heartbeat to convince the Doctor that he was actually dying. But Grodd didn't even put up a fight against Salivar, and Superman realized that Grodd had switched bodies with Salivar. Superman takes both gorillas back to Gorilla City, where Grodd is put into a prison that keeps him continuously hypnotized. And Superman and Salivar return to the UN, where both repair the building... And Solovar grants Lois Lane an interview explaining that Grodd planned on making himself look like a superhero so he could take over the world legally. Back at WGBS Studios a little later, Morgan Edge congratulates Lois on a great newscast, gives Clark a hard time for hiding after the earthquake, and when Edge leaves, Clark asks Lois about what she said when she thought he Superman was dead. But Lois insists that they're just friends since clearly he is not Superman so Clark slumps his shoulders and sadly walks away A sad piano music plays until he's out of sight, where he begins to laugh his invulnerable butt off. The end.
0: <laughs> that was cool. Um, Mike, why don't you go over and tell people what you thought of this? Um, goofy
1: cover. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, Superman wins out this month in the cover department. Uh, I mean, it looks interesting, but at the same time it's like, wow, that's kind of stiff. Uh, the <laughs> you know if this story had been done today i think it would have been played a little bigger because Gorilla city wasn't like a huge part of the dc universe but that was you know that being secret was like a thing with the flash mm-hmm. and here in this story it's just kind of nonchalant oh they exist by the way they're going to be in the u n congratulations it's just <laughs> happening i was just i was just really confused by that overall um gorilla Grot as a, as a foil for Superman is an interesting idea. I think it's funny on page two that they're keeping him on a treadmill to make him
2: tired it's just, <laughs> I'm just really goofy uh, I think that's goofy um yeah you' you're you're physically slowing down the person who works off of mind powers
1: yeah exactly <laughs> uh page three i i I hear this conversation between Clark and Morgan Edge. Yes, Mr. Edge. Absolutely, Mr. Edge. I understand, Mr. Edge. We are here to stay in New York for the audience. And Louis,
0: poor <laughs> Lois,
1: you know, I finally get an assignment in New York, and with my luck, I have to spend it with Clark Kent researching a TV documentary on Easter parades. Why are mm-hmm. the two, like, big reporters in Metropolis and at WGBS – doing a documentary on an e isn't that what you give like the up-and-coming guy
3: (laughs) or the intern
1: (laughs) yeah something like that so i really don't have that much in the way of uh page to page notes mainly because despite it being goofy i rather liked this story the twist at the end was pretty cool. I mean, Superman quote-unquote dies halfway through, and you know that's not going to happen, especially with Clark Kent showing up. Um, the, on page 11, though, in the middle panel with Clark walking away from from Lois, he's got that look on his face like, <laughs> got her. <laughs> I totally fooled her. Uh, I do like the fact that Solivar has a skunk patch in his hair. That That's kind of cool. <laughs> the, you know, and the revelation that Grod had taken over Solovar, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That that was all well and good. This is this is what I would call an average Superman story of this era. Probably on par with the with the Steve Lombard, though not a. And having something almost as important, though. I I really don't know if they ever make mention of Gorilla City being in the UN after this. Uh. Uh, though that is kind of a big deal I do like on page 13 at the bottom you have Superman and Lois Lane interviewing a giant gorilla (laughs) (laughs) anywhere else that might seem odd and the last page of Clark going off and laughing is a total callback to an early issue of Action Comics where Clark has one over on Lois goes outside and laughs at her and anderson and swan just sell clark looking dejected and then laughing at her and i'm Mm -hmm. like wow clark you're being kind of a jerk there you just (laughs) wow you know i expect that with golden age clark i don't expect that with bronze age clark though to be fair she kind of threw herself at him when she thought superman was dead and now that superman's not dead it's like oh i'm not into you yeah, you're you still in the smell. friend
3: zone. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> oh, no, not the friend zone. I hate the friend zone. Yeah, No, I the just... Um, I enjoyed this story quite a bit, but there's just not a whole lot to say about it because it's just goofy. And if you get too much into the goofiness, then you're going to start making fun of it. And I really don't feel... Like, I don't have the heart to do that with most of these Bronze Age stories, unless it's really bad. I, I just I just don't feel... It's just not in me to to pick it apart or anything. You know, I think it's a little... How do I want to say this? I think what they do to Solovar in the end is kind of cruel and unusual punishment, but how else are you going to keep the guy that can take over your mind captive? You know, you don't really Mm -hmm. have
2: much
0: of a choice in the matter. So, but that's all I got. Well you don't mind, Dave, I'll go with this one.
2: <clears throat> okay. Go right ahead.
0: Well, since you reviewed it. Um, and because I don't really have that many notes. Um, page three was my first note. Let's um, so which one is that one? Ah! This is, of course, the one with uh, Clark and Lois in New York. And, again, like we were talking earlier with Swan and his detail work, it really comes into play here. Which was really cool, since they're actually in a real city, mm-hmm. and the extra detail that he adds really goes to sell the fact that this is really New York, even though it has some weird colors to it, uh, because they were limited to only a certain, you know, only a certain number of colors. But I mean, I'm wondering. Of course, I've never been in the UN and I've never really been to this part of New York, so I'm wondering if he actually, since he was, you know, he would go up to drop off work and pick it up, I'm wondering if maybe he actually had references he used for some of this. That would be pretty cool. Um, Page 11, because I didn't really have a whole lot to say up until then. I like how the uh, caption box actually points out the absurdity of what is going on in this story. Uh, If you read it, it's like, Stop for a moment and consider the absurdity of this situation. Superman, as Clark Kent, has just comforted Lois, who is mourning his death. She is now interviewing an intelligent gorilla who is planning his funeral. But if you notice a bespectacled figure darting into a ransacked building, you know the scene is about to get wilder. And that just struck me as hilarious. And uh, page 14... When Clark explains that he was busy, you know, finishing the Easter parade assignment, I'm kind of surprised he doesn't get fired. Um, Granted, he did actually do his original assignment, but, yeah. Um, But, I thought it was kind of ironic that as we're recording this one, uh, the most recently released episode of From Crisis to Crisis is about the death of Superman, and here we have a kind of death of Superman right here, with a lot of the beats that was actually featured in the more recent story, uh, with Superman dying, Lois being upset. I'll, I'll go with that.
1: That, that. That's a little... Uh, <laughs> yeah. that, that, that's kind of weird. I mean, you know, Clark... I mean, it's not... Fear, but...
0: Well, yeah. It's not exactly the same, and I'm not saying it has even the same impact, obviously, because he's dead for, like, a page. But... And he actually never dies. He said... They say he's going to die, and they take him away. But he never technically actually died anyway, but anyway um, and there's even talk of a funeral, and Superman's in a big battle that he's having a lot of trouble in Um, I thought uh, especially going back to what we were talking about with the last issue with the fight, I thought some of the stuff in this was also pretty dynamic Um, after Superman does kind of that stiff forearm to Grodd's chest he gets thrown in the water, which knocks over a ship Superman swims around in a weird position which I don't think I've seen Swan draw him in and it's knocking over the boats he's fixing the boat gets knocked into the water does the whirlpool gets messed around with and then they get into that grapple while the water's crashing down on them and that looks like a pretty epic battle kind of grapple right there on page 8 third panel so yeah I thought that was kind of cool um The other thing that gets me is, like uh, what Mike touched on, is I'm surprised, and this would not happen at DC today, but I'm surprised that they'd allow something as big as the reveal of Gorilla City to happen in a Superman book instead of the Flash book or maybe the Justice League book or something. Um, (laughs) To me, that would be like Superman dying in a panel of The Fly from Impact Comics. Instead of one of the Superman books that was, uh, <laughs>
2: book. that was a good book.
0: It was a good book, but this th- it makes about as much sense. It would be like all the build up and then Superman 75 is the aftermath of his epic battle to the death with the
2: fly or something. but um, well impact was a different universe. that's kind of apples and oranges. Oh, okay, fine. <laughs>
0: <Zing>. <laughs> if you be that way about it. But anyway, you get my point. <laughs> and um, but beyond that, I liked the art here, and I thought that um, the Swanderson team really did outdid themselves with some of the detail work that they did. And I thought Superman and Clark and Grodd and Solovar looked really awesome. It just and like Mike says, I I'm not, I'm not a reader of I don't have a much. Bronze Age, well, pre-crisis Flash. So I have no idea if this is ever picked up on. I just know that every time I've seen Gorilla City on anything, uh, it's always a secretive place. Whether it's a one of the animated shows or, excuse me, that Gorilla JLA JLApe uh, miniseries or uh, L- <laughs> series they did several years ago. Uh, I believe it was still a secret then. Of course, that's post-crisis, so that could have been reset. So I don't know, but it just really surprised me that they would do that here instead of like in a flash book. But
2: your turn, Dave. Yep. Well, I agree with the flash book. I mean, clearly, Grodd is known as a flash villain, and something that this would be this would be an event, as Mike said. But we've kind of beaten that path. We were talking about Swan's detail and I'm I'm bringing us back to page three he's drawing the books on the shelves most artists even today will not do that the only one I can think of is Van Skiver who will put that much detail in and the only reason he did that is because he didn't know some of the techniques to kind of make it look like the the individual books were there Mm -hmm. and he was talking about that in an
0: interview plus you can shade some of the books to put the word sex in the background
2: yeah as Van Skyver is known to do. As far as the details on the UN building, that's actually accurate. I looked up an image search and put them side by side. That is actually a fantastic representation. I don't know about the lobby there. I have not been able to find pictures of that. But his, you know, as we mentioned, he makes Metropolis living and breathing, but if it's a real-world place, he depicts it accurately, and I do appreciate that. Um, On page four, and I don't have that many notes, kind of like, I don't... Kind of like you, Charlie. Page four, Clark in the aisle being bumbling. I thought there was something would come of this, that maybe there was some tip-off that he had at this point. No, that's just him being bumbling. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like they needed one a page of something.
2: Yeah. Um, on page five, once again, uh, well, four and five. Five and six, pardon me. Well, I'll stick to page five. Page five, Superman, <laughs> well, because I have two Make different... Make up notes. your mind, man! I have two different notes. On page oh, okay. five, Clark hits or Clark hits the the side of the door, and as I joked about in my in my synopsis, he does more damage than Grodd is doing. He's the one that brings the bu- the the bu- building down. And Then we move to page six, where he's pretty openly within relatively good view of Lois changing into Superman. You couldn't wait ten seconds. Yeah, good point. I mean, hey, sometimes you got to change to Superman. I mean, it's
1: just you know, there's smoke in the <laughs> way. It's all good
2: it's hazy enough as long as Lois doesn't turn around but I I did find it odd that I enjoyed this issue these two issues on this episode they're probably my two favorite since I've joined this show but I didn't have as much to say because I was just I mostly just had fun reading the issue and that's something that I think comics today are missing was Mm -hmm. just sit down and enjoy it and that's all I did with this this was fantastic Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah.
1: You know, And that's the thing about the Bronze Age. I mean, I, I'm i not... This is kind of a blind spot as far as an entire era for me in Superman. I've read a lot of the books from the late 70s and the early 80s uh, and, have, you know, read some of the early Bronze Age stuff with the Superman saga and all that. So it's kind of funny discovering this and learning about it and having more of a objective eye towards the material because it's not my era of Superman and not one that I have a particular connection to personally. But the more I see it, the more I like the trappings of it, especially later in the decade when they start doing things with subplots and the supporting cast and... Superman all but making fun of Lana lying to her face. <laughs> <laughs> funny, funny issue. Oh my, did you really write that, Marty Pascoe? Um, but it's, it's fun to, I, I guess, start over on uh, Stella's podcast, girl to Oracle, a Barbara Gordon podcast, where we covered two uh, Bronze Age Superman issues with uh, that you guys will be covering uh, pretty soon. Uh, where Barbara Gordon guest stars, and they try to link the two romantically in the first one. It's kind of funny. Mm, awkward. And they're, <laughs> yeah, they're like Batman forward. setting you up with Barbara Gordon. It's like, no, seriously, Clark, she's a hot redhead. Go for it.
0: I don't want her dating Robin. So...
1: <laughs> but no, this was a fun exercise. It really was.
2: Actually, is that all we got on this issue?
0: That's all I've got. Well, for the story, yeah. Well,
2: for the story. Yeah, I was about to say. We got a whole backup story. Before we get to that, I just want to let you know this issue was reprinted in Best of DC number fifty four. Fifty four.
0: Which is from November of eight, 1984. Thank you. Just to point that out. Yep. You're
2: welcome. I appreciate your accuracy.
0: Yes, I know. Thanks. See uh, this is why we this is why we it's a co host thing. It's a team. Otherwise I'd just be yelling at you through the headphones and you wouldn't hear me.
2: Yeah, I've been doing that a lot recently. At Michael and Jeffrey. I don't see the atom on my poster. No, that was an actual incident. Neither did I. That was not a problem. (laughs) (laughs) Um. So, backup story: Green Arrow in the Candy Kitchen Caper, written by (laughs) written by Elliot S. Magan penciled by Dick Dillon, inked by the great Dick Giordano and the story opens with two thieves making a mission impossible style heist trying to steal the fabulous star of calcutta from a mineralogy museum <laughs> just oh, as sorry. one of the thieves lower i was trying to go <sighs> along with the music but just as one of the thieves lower into the room rigged with pressure switches that will set the place off like alarms in a firehouse An arrow flies through the air, cuts the rope, and drops the would-be thief to the floor, and actually sets off every alarm in the place. Like a firehouse. Uh, Yeah, well, exactly. Green Arrow uses a plunger arrow and pulls the other thief down from the perch of his ceiling. Green Arrow has the two on lock. He's got the arrow pointed at him when a bumbling security guard rushes into the room, flings the door open, and knocks Oliver down. (laughs)
1: <laughs> which is excellent.
2: <laughs> and this uh, lets allows the thieves to get away without without their quarry, but they still get away and that ticks green arrow off. So much that the next day, as Oliver's walking the streets of Star City, he's down on himself still, but he's hungry. So he decides to grab a bite from a candy shop, where he sees some freshly made fudge, which he digs. So Ollie decides... candy shop. <laughs> Ollie decides to reignite his public relations career and says that within a week he will make ye old candy house the biggest thing in Star City. And from the back room of the shop, apparently behind a two-way mirror, the two thieves that we met last night watch Ollie work his charms and promise Evelyn, the shop manager, that she won't have to pay a dime until she's satisfied. Okay, I gave you guys the chance on that one. (laughs) Sorry. It's okay. Ollie works the, the people he knows, like the news, he walks the streets with a sandwich board, and lo and behold, crowds throng to the candy store. And as Oliver is taking pictures of his success for more you know, publicity shots, the thieves actually get ticked, and they steal Oliver's camera. Now, sensing something's up, Oliver changes into Green Arrow and goes after the guys who slow him down by throwing free fudge to the crowd, sending the crowd into a frenzy. <laughs> I can't make this stuff up. (laughs) So Green Arrow gets around the crowd by using a grappling hook arrow to get to the top of a light pole and punctures the car's tires, capturing the bad guys. And it turns out they were basically using the shop as a front, and Evelyn is completely unaware. And it's too bad because the thieves actually own the shop, so Evelyn's up the creek with all of her success, but Green Arrow donates the reward money for the thieves' capture to Evelyn so she can open her own candy shop. And Evelyn can't wait to tell her press agent, and Green Arrow thinks to himself that it's funny, since he's actually her press agent, and he's actually going to be walking home since he doesn't even have money for a cab. Who <laughs> signed?
0: That was me. So, so I'm guessing Mike loves this one. We should let him talk first.
1: Um Green Arrow <laughs> is so hit and miss in the Bronze Age, it's not even funny. Mm-hmm. It's there's some backups coming up in Action Comics that are actually quite good, especially when he and Black Canary fight Lex Luthor, which was a which was kind of an interesting storyline. But it's like every time they try to give him a job, it always seems really like sitcom ish. Like, you know, well, for this season, he's going to be a media consultant. And and then he's going to be a, rep- a liberal reporter for a newspaper for the backups in Detective Comics. And it's just like, uh, I mean, the the opening part of this was okay. It's, you know, your, your typical green arrow foiling some bad guys. We even have him making fun of the elderly. Um, <laughs> they're going, ah, turn off the alarm, Grandpa, before the noise gives me a headache. It's just like, isn't it he who should be saying, you know, get these kids off my lawn? Um, I I have a question about page three. Now, my wife and I, when we go on vacation and stuff, and and, and there's even one of these next to the movie theater we like to go to, there's candy shops. And when we go in, fudge is always outrageously expensive. So I guess Mm -hmm. that's inflation because apparently a dime gets you a pretty good chunk of fudge. <laughs> uh, which, you know, take however wow. you want. I, I really wanted one of the bad guys to have the last name Packer. Um, <laughs> I'll let that one sink in.
0: Um, thank you. That's a,
1: that's a way Homer. i have uh, seen Cannibal, the musical. Yeah, thank you. That's exactly <laughs> what I was referring to. Weirdness. So, uh, uh, This is just a really dumb job that he has. Because essentially he's going door to door offering his services to get businesses business, and pressuring news people to put the thing in their. Sh- it's like it's like that's the only move he knows is to get the the can the 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 shop he's uh, that says client in the news because apparently if you see something in the background it's like what if there was like some kind of horrendous murder right outside of the candy shop is
2: that really the kind
1: of the kind of press that this job
2: runs. Well, that came up wow. in, the, in the in the story where he actually decided to be a press agent when he captured, was it, it was thieves that he captured right in front of the store. Yeah. Or would-be assassins. Yeah, Dinah's so flower
0: that exactly shop.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um,
1: Page five, when did Ollie Queen develop super speed? Thank uh, you. That is, that is totally note. him running at super speed into the phone booth. He even
0: mentioned Superman. Yeah,
1: It's awfully crowded in there. There's an old story that Superman used to change into costume in a phone booth. So, but, you know, the action at the end was pretty good. You know, it has your typical, like, you know, J. David said, want, 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 want ending. And, wow, I really wish Dick Giordano would ink Dick Dillon more often because he breathes a lot of life into an otherwise stiff artist. Mm Mm-hmm. Because there's some shots here that look almost Neil Adams-ish, mm-hmm. throughout the
2: issue. Oh, and I love this Green Arrow costume like a lot. That was you like, pretty lot, much. Lot. Yeah, you took you kind of took all my notes.
0: I'm so sorry.
2: <laughs> no, I'm, I'm glad it was said. As long as it gets said, I'm good. Oh, okay. Very this good. is why we.
0: This is why we don't have guests that often. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Is so that was me. that okay? Um. <laughs> Well, he took my note, too. I only had one, and that was the super speed. But beyond that, um, it's one of these things that we've noticed with Elliot Magan before. It's like he does one story in a month that is, like, pretty awesome. And then he does another story in the same month that kind of kills it. And, unfortunately, this is the one... I mean, it's not a terrible story. I'm not going to say that. But after the awesomeness of the superman story this one was just kind of eh. uh like mike said dick giordano i think basically just about anyone he makes look a lot better with his inking um uh, we i covered several issues of world's finest on this show featuring joe gaella as the back, as the as his inker And there was a couple of good spots, but for the most part, it just didn't look very good. I've not been a really huge fan of Dick Dillon, even on his Justice League stuff, but this looked
2: actually pretty good to me. Mm -hmm. But beyond that, I... And this was never, ever reprinted, which is odd, because I would like to... I mean, granted, this is the backup story, and this one's eh, but I would like to see a collection of the Green Arrow backup stories. That'd be well, something I would dig. Given how DC is now getting so trade paperback happy,
1: uh, I think it's because they recently changed how they do the royalties with the trade paperbacks. I was reading that on Jim Shooter's blog. Um, you know, because now they're re-releasing the Knight's Quest they're releasing the Knight's Quest stuff and they're re releasing the Nightfall trade with extra material. And they're doing the same thing with Batman No Man's Land. Ooh. Now maybe that's because there's a Batman movie coming out. But <laughs> And it just happens
0: to feature Brain.
1: Yeah, and but they're also you know, there's a Superman trade coming out about the Fortress of Solitude that has some material that's never been reprinted before. So yeah. uh hopefully and I recently got that uh tabloid size uh, Superman and his Fortress of Solitude thing on eBay, so I'm looking forward to reading that, uh, which you guys will be covering. I keep saying that. I feel bad. <laughs> I feel like I'm throwing more onto your plate. but. Um... Oh, you're gonna cover it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you, you all go, better cover it.
0: <laughs> I have said you're gonna cover it now. You better.
2: You're gonna cover it. Let me ask or you, I'll... what's the hardest you've ever been hit in the face with a biscuit?
0: <laughs> or I'll cover you with the
1: back of my hand. Uh... <laughs> But uh you know it wouldn't surprise me if Green Arrow stopped well I only read the first issue of the new series so I can't really say say much about the new Green Arrow but they kind of butchered that character mm-hmm. towards uh towards the end right before the relaunch so mm-hmm. it would be kind of cool to get his backups reprinted because they're only 8 pages so you can you can cram a lot into that gram <laughs>
0: Yes, it's not like we're asking for an absolute edition. Just a ch- simple, I don't know, trade. And you could like... Or even just a
1: showcase sit. presents. There you go.
0: Oh, heck yeah. You don't even have to have color in that. They they'll, That'll cram in even more. You could probably get the whole decade's worth in one of Easy. those.
2: Uh-huh. In 500 pages, you better believe it.
0: Between action and detective, I think he was in. And he had a miniseries at one point hmm He's still um, in yeah. is he still in detective in your the ones you're covering in uh on your yes. Batman show? Yeah, not, see? Not
1: that I'm reading them, but yes. Uh,
0: <laughs> they're not as good as this, huh?
1: They they're awful.
0: Ah. Because it is very much the
1: he actually says, Well, you know, I'm a liberal so and it's not that I uh... care that he's a liberal I really don't care about that you know political affiliation of a character doesn't matter because it's only if done right it'll strengthen the character and but it's like it's he's not a character he's a caricature mm-hmm. like you know he, he's being obnoxious about it so um i would feel the same way if a character was like well i'm a conservative so i'm going to fit every every stereotype of being a conservative ever so it's just annoying gotcha In
2: like bad
0: <laughs> David,
2: oh, I've, I've said what I want to say. I just want to see this collected. I I love this costume because it makes me think of superpowers.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: That's the main reason I love it. I love the action figure that uh, Mattel made with it, which actually had a different wrist joint than others, so he could actually hold the bow and arrow. Is it? I like little details like that.
1: But and if and if you really like that figure, just pick up the Robin Hood figure that Kenner would release in 1991, (laughs) because it's the same
2: one! Yep, slap Kevin (laughs) Kotzer's head on it, throw a tunic over it, we're good. Really? Awesome. With the G on the belt. No joke, yes. (laughs) Oh, God. They took his quiver off his back, that's about it.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Way to go, Kenner.
2: These are the people that made Lava Fury Batman, so... uh...
1: Well, if I'm also correct, uh, one of the play sets from there was a redress of the Ewok play set. Yep.
2: So. They've used that several times. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to make good use of that.
0: Well, it's like with Batman. I think, of course, it made sense with the movies. But I think for all the original four Batman movies, I think they used the same Batcave set. They just redressed the stickers. Uh, Kind of. To uh, fit but... in with the movie. Because I got the Batman Returns version, which was the same one, except instead of Joker stuff, it was Penguin and Catwoman stuff.
2: Correct. No, the Joker, the one for the first Batman, the Bat, that Batcave was made by Toy Biz, and it was cardboard, for the most part, with a very thin plastic piece. So Kenner actually made that, but they did reuse it for Batman Returns, uh, Batman Forever, after they made an awesome version of it that was apparently not cost-effective. For Batman Forever, they had this multi-tiered, epic-looking Batcave that had a very limited release, and then they went back to that stupid one with the, the skylight and everything, which is actually a decent toy, but they did reuse it for every other movie after that. <laughs> yep. Animated series and whatnot. Okay. <sighs> so sad. Superman in the Bronze Age, a Kenner action figure <laughs> podcast. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we talk about Batman and everything.
0: After these messages, we'll be right back.
1: Why, hello there, lovely ladies. May I just say that you look quite beautiful in your matching Slave Leia metal bikinis. You have permission to come aboard my den of nerd erotica. Some people would call it my mom's garage. I call it 10.1 forward. Can I interest you in a death stick? Nope. I was just kidding. Have a shot of China. Once you get loosened up, we can play a friendly game of Strip
3: Fisting. Let me loosen that strap. Hey, suckers. Maury Clawhammer here, okay? You want your freaking Star Wars? I got your Star Wars right here! What about the Star Trek? You like that too, right? Right? That's what I thought. Well, we got that and we got more freaking comics and you can read in your entire miserable in life. Hey, there's even a girl who talks about unicorns and I'm Harry Potter and M. M,
0: M, M. The GM B- Oriental cartoons with the big eyes. So you get your ass over to the
3: Two True Freaks podcast at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. That's spelled L I B S Y N, alright? Alright? Good. You can get there on the internet and choose from hundreds of quality Two True Freaks podcasts. And would it kill you to buy a GM B- shirt? Remember, Two True Freaks.
0: Two True Freaks. Two true freaks. Two true freaks.
3: Sawate, My name is Stella, and I am the host of Batgirl to Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. Batgirl to Oracle is a podcast and site dedicated to Barbara Gordon, the first woman to hold the Batgirl mantle for an extended period of time, roughly 1967 to 1985. The goal of BTO is to examine the character's history from her first appearance as Batgirl and continue on through her current tenure as Oracle. Each episode looks at vintage issues of Detective Comics and Batman and modern issues of Batgirl and Birds of Prey. I also keep track of news involving Batgirl and other members of the Bat family, and I examine Barbara Gordon's appearances in the media, such as TV, film, etc. I've been blessed to be able to interview writer Brian Q Miller, and I hope to interview more creators and actors in the future. My goal, most importantly, is to make a fun, entertaining, and thoughtful show that people enjoy and from which they learn. Please visit us online at badgirl to oracle.net and look for us on iTunes. Thank you.
0: Okay, to start off with we have ads. And our first one is our inside cover and in Superman, we have a rally, rally, Raleigh, sorry, Raleigh Industries of America bike ad. One for roads. One for
1: roads. One for
0: loads. <laughs> oh, that dirty! It sure does. So we're just going to move right along. But yes, that's the same ad. Yep. Uh, oh, that was kind of that was creepy. Um, uh, opposite page six, because I love the fact that they number these pages. Um, mine has the National School of Conservation uh, yep. with training you in your exciting outdoor career which looks to me like Boy Scouts without the name. You get bash you hey, get a job <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly uh, let's see then
2: opposite page nine we have the super bodybuilding course. Maury Mitchell gained 65 pounds of muscle while following our revolutionary new methods on bodybuilding. They're called mm-hmm. steroids. <laughs> Later, Maury would be convicted of killing his own mother in a roid rage. He bit the
1: head off a kitten.
2: <laughs> and he has little... Never mind, I'm not going to get into it. Um,
0: yeah. You'll notice that they use red, yellow, and blue for the colors... But I don't think that has as much to do with the fact that it's supposed to be a super bodybuilding course as it is that those are primary colors and they look pretty. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Next up, ooh, after page thirteen, yes. we have a two-page ad for music. With
3: any fifth?
0: 50- yes, <laughs> with eight <laughs> tracks. Uh, any fifteen records for or? Any eleven tapes for just ele- eleven for just a dollar ninety-seven, featuring such.
2: Oh, it's Columbia House. I didn't catch that at first because I was oh, distracted. Nice.
0: The Columbia Record Club and the Columbia Tape Club, and uh, let's see, all selections shown are available in twelve-inch stereo records, eight-track cartridges, tape cassettes, and seven-inch
2: reel-to-reel tapes. <gasps> Even "Honky Chateau" by Elton John. Exactly.
1: You know they've got one from for the Fifth Dimension, "The Greatest Hits on Earth." Outside of "Age of Aquarius," they have uh, other hits. D- yeah, that's my question.
0: <laughs> Weird. So it's a, that's that's why all those all their hits are fitting on one eight track. Uh, let's see, the Partridge Family, "Shopping mm-hmm. Bag."
2: Got several uh, Osmond albums. Cheech and Chong. Ooh, Rod Stewart. Johnny hey. Nash? Johnny Cash. No, oh, no, Johnny, says, Nash. Johnny Nash. I can see you clearly. I misread that completely. I'm no longer excited for it. That's all right. Oh, Richie Havens. Who? Hey. <laughs> Melanie. <laughs>
0: That's my mom's name. I have a half-sister named that. <laughs> Ooh, Tammy Wynette. Sign me up. Now they do have the original cast
1: recording of Godspell, which is kind of awesome.
0: Sweet. And they have Jesus Christ Superstar. A rock opera. Yeah, darn. Ooh, 2001 A Space Odyssey. The Phil... McLean's
1: American Pie. Woo-hoo! Herb Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass. (laughs) The Protocol Harem. Rod Stewart.
0: Neil Diamond. Sly and the Family Stone. Simon and Garfunkel. Three (laughs) Dog Night. Poco! The Carpenters. Poco! A Share Super Pack. Al Green. Interesting.
1: And I'm still even... stuck on Robert Flack. Hey, Chris Christopherson. We actually have somebody on here that would end up in a comic book movie.
0: Blade. Sweet. Hey, Jesus was a Capricorn. Just thought I'd point that out.
1: (laughs) Janis Joplin in concert. It's her just overdosing again and again and again.
2: Aw.
0: (laughs) Oh. Wow.
2: made me spit out my drink.
0: (laughs) Inside the mind of Bill Cosby. These aren't all music. Hey. That was probably really funny.
2: Bill Cosby is actually pretty funny. He
0: was actually pretty funny, yes. Hey, Santana. Some of these people are still making music. couple sort Chicago of albums yeah Sammy Davis Jr, Jr. You know as I was
2: going through the ads ahead of time reading this book I'm like we're going to get stuck on this ad for a while <laughs> <laughs> There is a lot of tapes to look at
0: <laughs> It's hard not to get Liza Minnelli Did someone say that one No <laughs> It's yes. Liza with a Z Oh sorry Liza yeah And of course the name of the album <laughs> They didn't say that didn't they? And then of course yes What tape do you want? Yes.
2: There's a skip. Is this the
0: one you're wanting to look at? Yes. Ooh, Tammy Wynette. Woohoo! My man. Moody Blues
1: cover an X-Men story with Days of Future Past.
0: (laughs) (laughs) There's that Marvel stuff popping in again.
2: That should be (laughs) rock opera.
0: Bread. My mom likes bread. The band, not well. I'm. She likes bread too, but she likes the band also. Hey, Bobby uh...
2: Sherman. Nice. Do you, what, what? Do you guys? What does uh, Superman have at the end of the issue? At the end of the first story for blurbs?
0: Uh, Superman has uh, other super attractions. Superman clashes with Super Gorilla in the Gorilla Grodd's grandstand play, and then of course Superman two sixty five is attacked by the Army of Tomorrow. Where Superman fights against his strangest foes of all time, Earthmen with four thumbs. (gasps) And in the July,
2: Action Comics 425, big triple header issue, Superman discovers the last MOA on Earth. Or is that MOA?
0: (laughs) That's a MOA, I think.
2: Okay. (laughs) Startling Action Plus story, the human target in the short walk to disaster contract. And an explosive action with the Atom, 13 old men who run the world. Wait a minute. And coming
1: soon, the return of the Superman of America Club.
2: That I'm actually kinda of psyched about. Does that
1: actually happen? Mm-hmm. Mildly. It doesn't you know the guy the the men with four thumbs, I bet they're wicked texters nowadays. <laughs>
0: oh that would be so cool. I could use, wow! It is they act, It's not a longer issue. The Superman story is only ten pages long.
1: Yeah, that's what I was about to say. I I, I have a feeling that it's just a short Superman story. You can't wow. see
2: this, but I'm actually doing a happy dance because that's my synopsis.
0: Oh. Doing the, doing the happy dance.
2: Yeah, but you still got to do the.
0: Dance. You still got to do the Adam story and the Human Target. So haha. Okay. Yeah, buddy. You guys are mean to each other. Yes. Yeah. And we haven't been doing it near as long as you guys, as you and Jeffrey. <laughs> and by it, I mean recording shows. Not anyway. So we're just gonna move right along. Um, what was there? Any ads? Any other ads after the between the?
1: Tapes? These okay. three big drafting kits given to you. Are you train <laughs> it
0: home for us. For a
1: high-paid job in drafting, and as I joked about constantly on Tales of the JSA, get a
0: job, hippie. (laughs) Yeah. Somehow, I'm thinking this
2: doesn't help you get a job, though. Do you? Uh, Does uh, Superman have the the forty red China stamps? Yes, it does.
0: Yes, it does. Forbidden for a generation.
2: Yeah, that's a little bit racist. A little bit, yeah. (laughs) Just saying. How is it racist? Red China. Isn't that what
0: they?
1: They're called Red China more because they're communist.
2: And their flag's all red. Yeah, there is that. So, well, that's that's anti-communist.
1: Yeah, because that was bad in
0: 1973.
1: Now, let's see. Plop. 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 That was yeah.
0: Plop, and then the subscription ad. Uh, where this was you have so a sad. little
1: boy hawking an issue of Superman
0: yeah but see this was the sad part I remember we covered this a little bit ago 15 consecutive issues for the price of what you can spend on one comic today granted I know it's what almost 40 years later but still so sad
1: yeah we're getting to these books almost being
0: 40 years old Wow. Uh, I know it's sad <laughs> anyway moving on uh, and then after the last, well, I don't, won't know if it'll be the last story in yours, but um, or the last page, I have the tank trap slash cannonball, a little teeny action figure kind of set where you have tanks and an army mm-hmm. fighting on one half, and it's the Civil War on the other, including dead. Yeah, and dead?
1: Then in the action issue, it's the. Joe Weider's free bodybuilding booklet is your first step <laughs> to a powerful, healthy, and handsome
0: body. And as we discovered, uh, discussed earlier,
2: no relation to David. No David. relation, but I am going to make a parody of that. <laughs> My faces end up on that. And then, the next up we have
0: 14 ways to help you earn more money. Oh. one of these 14 career guidance booklets and demonstration lessons <laughs> and find out how you can now start developing the skills you need to, to, to succeed in a better paying career to which Mike says get a job hippie there you go
2: I like <laughs> that uh, number 14 is high school Yeah. Well,
1: <laughs> I guess the theory behind that is that if you have a high school diploma you'll be able to get a better paying
2: job uh, that's not actually entirely true
1: no, well, I, I realize that I, I also want one of these to be stand outside of a convenience store and grab old
0: women by the arm and go give me a dollar <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's interesting that they have computer programming
2: yeah
1: there they, were computers TV servicing
0: yeah okay TV servicing there's CATV which
2: obviously is cable TV what's MATV Exactly. (laughs) Well, you know, the Olympic ad is in the back of action. Prizes or cash. Uh, Ah, yes. Okay. Fagan operation.
0: Was "Was there Olympics or something? But yes, 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 I got you. With the bike um, speedometer.
1: COBOL, by the way, stands for Common Business Oriented Language. It is one of the oldest programming languages in computers.
0: They still use it. Not much, though. Oh. Folks, Mike's still typing. He's still system three hundred and
1: sixty was a mainframe computer system family first announced by IBM on April seventh, nineteen sixty-four, and sold between sixty-four and seventy-eight. I'm I'm I just want to know what these are because I'm just kind of fascinated. Fortran four
0: or IV, depending on how you look at it. Is a
1: general purpose procedural imperative programming language that is especially suited to numeric computation and scientific computing. Wow. So you could have actually gotten a job with these things. Sweet! And then you would have gotten an Altair in a couple of years and then started up a business in your
0: garage and it would have been awesome. (laughs) Wow. Boom. I'm in awe of that idea. There you go. And all of these come from booklets from Scranton, Pennsylvania.
1: That's right. Wow. You, well, Scranton, isn't Scranton where the place on the in the office? Television? That's what I was
0: thinking. That's what I was thinking. That's why I, I was pointing it out. Isn't that I think that's what they work out of. Uh, uh, there you go. <laughs> um, but yeah, like Mike... Uh, no, Mike didn't say it. David said it. We have the uh, Olympic prizes for prizes or cash thing, and of course um, as we discovered the la- uh, last time we talked about this the poodle radio you can find on eBay
2: yes. <laughs> yes
0: and the the one David found actually looked like it was in pretty good shape so that was pretty cool, and then the back page we have the hit
2: that ended the ball game uh, which is great because is... it's on the back of the Steve Lombard issue
0: yeah <laughs> Exactly. It's
2: an ad for shoes. What?
0: <laughs> and you have a uh, guy, I guess it's supposed to be a dead hand. Not that hands live by themselves, but you know what I mean. And they're holding a syringe, and it just says, score in sports, get Husky sports shoes. That makes no sense. Well, I guess
2: drugs hit, if you take a hit of drugs, it will kill you. The the moral of the story is drugs are bad wear husky shoes. What? Yeah. <laughs> and those those the, that's not much cleat
0: there. That's not going to give you much grip.
2: I'm you just be, saying you may be overthinking that
0: one. Probably. Okay. <clears throat> now finally we have what the a title we have appropriated and kind of borrowed from I believe tales is elsewhere in the DC multiverse multiverse mm-hmm. multiverse multiverse. And uh basically what we do here is well we can talk about whatever but you uh Dave and I have started we were just going to talk about these superhero books cuz we were taking too long going through all of them. And so if you if anyone pop has something you see that you want to talk about pop in. Well there
1: there is one, but but I'll but I'll wait till we, we get it get to it on the timeline because if I have to guess life. it's the Phantom Stranger.
2: No. Okay. Ooh.
1: Not at all. Good thing you do not have to guess. Uh, it's young love. He's <laughs> hitting
0: on a nun. <laughs> wow. He <laughs> okay. totally is. Uh but uh, uh, uh let me let me get first off I wanted to point out Wonder Woman number two oh six by this point, Wonder Woman is back in her f- more popular duds, and she's fighting her sister Nubia. In. Nubia in a battle Nubia. to the death. And she's got a good tan on her, which I'll probably cut out. But I, I, I think you should. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, she actually—it's almost like she's supposed to be. She's wearing like cheetah outfit. A little bit. Well, maybe, course, maybe
1: she's wanting to be, one, you know, one of the Pussycat
0: dolls or something. <laughs> there you go. Uh, or uh, Josie and the Pussycats. Dun, 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 dun. Josie, Josie and the Pussycats. Now I have to Boy, throw that in the background. Pussycats. Awesome.
2: <laughs> Next up, we have Brave and the Bold number one oh seven, in which Batman and Black Canary team up. To skydive into apparently skyjacker territory, but with a gun pointed at them.
1: Yeah, and Black Canary gets injured, and Batman makes her bionic. Oh wait, wait—that was the uh,
0: six million dollar man and the bionic <laughs> woman. I apologize. <laughs> um, Which they're covering over on on uh, what was it? Back to the bins.
1: Yeah, they. Uh, this is the oldest issue of Brave and the Bold that I own.
0: Same with me, although the way I own it is because I got the Showcase book. Mm-hmm. And this is actually the cover, also. Yes, it me, is for that. Vo- I think it's volume three, maybe, something like that. Uh, but yes, that it's one of the oldest ones in there. So it's one of the oldest ones I own, technically. We got I'm Mr. like Miracle. Mike now.
1: <laughs> Looks pretty cool. Uh, uh, wanted, the world's there. most dangerous villains. I got issues one through nine of this recently for like two bucks a piece at my comic shop, and they're really cool to have. So the whole series? No, actually, it goes to like 15. Does it?
2: Yeah. Cool. Wow, this one has Captain Cold and Mr. Who. M- Mr. Who, who did not go to medical school. It's Dr. <laughs> who's derelict brother who fights Dr. Fate. <laughs>
0: Oh, uh, he's got a bigger gut too.
2: Why'd you have to drop out and start supervillainy so soon?
0: Uh, fighting Doctor Fate when he only had half the mask.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm. I always liked that look. Not as much as the full mask, but I, I didn't mind the half mask.
0: Yeah, it's not so, depending on who draws it. Sure. Sometimes it looks a little. I probably shouldn't say. Um, my turn is Phantom Stranger number twenty-five. Which looks kind of weird. Yeah, that's not... Ha! See what he did there. See, this is is an odd issue because this is not drawn by Neil Adams nor Jim Aparo. It's by Luis Dominguez. It looks
2: like an old EC cover. Yeah, Yeah, I'll agree with that. In fact... I guarantee. He's gonna go look. He's he did look. not work for EC. Okay. Okay. And then Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane, number one thirty-one.
0: Which. Uh, uh
2: Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, Superman adopted a giant. I thought it was forced perspective at one at first, and then that's why I did too. Uh, so <laughs> because he did this happen because of the giant, he has to marry Lois Lane. Is this an imaginary story? I don't. I don't know
0: anymore. <laughs> it say it on the lips. It's hard to tell. Um, next up, we have the Justice League of America, 100-page super spectacular, featuring drones of the Queen Bee, the Injustice Society of the World, the card crimes of the Royal Flesh Gang, and because it is a Justice League book, Sandman in the Sandman at Sea. Which actually is probably not the original title because it's in parentheses here, so that means it's a title given to it later on.
2: Yep. Originally it was titled Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. <laughs> <laughs>
0: nice.
3: <laughs>
0: uh, yeah. Needless to say, though, these are all reprints. But that's what they did. <laughs> that at was the anticlimactic. 100 yeah, thanks. Uh, but it's the biggest bargain in comics. For 50 cents, you got 100 pages of reprinted material doesn't get any better than that, folks. Except, you know, if it was original.
2: Um, Commandy, The Last Boy on Earth, number six, which features Jack Kirby. That's the only thing that book has going for it. Is I don't that... Know about that.
1: is a really neat concept.
2: But was the execution all that stellar? Well, I haven't read it yet. But, oh, okay. You know,
0: <laughs> you know the, uh, when I was telling you about those uh, those dollar bins, I think they had like the first... want to say six issues in the dollar bin they were in bad quality but they had them now is it just uh me because this is small or does it look like she has strategically placed hair for a reason
1: uh i think you're right
0: okay just check it
1: yay strategically placed hair
0: yay Of course, I'd be the one to notice. Um, Jimmy Olsen, number (laughs) one fifty-eight. Don't worry, Superman. Ultra Olsen Olsen will save you. (laughs) Nice. (laughs)
1: Wow. That's pretty. Yeah. That's kind of weird. Okay. Um, We have uh... that Batman cover looks pretty cool with all the guns pointed at him.
2: Oh, that's not, that's not uh, Jim Aparo. I thought so at first glance, but no, that's Dick Giordano. That's fantastic. Wow, it is. Yeah, it does look really cool.
0: Found the secret. art. Right. <laughs> now to take them by surprise. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't
2: seem to be working out well for Whoops. Batman this month. No. Look at, when to the it to the Brave and the Bold issue. <laughs> Batman's not yeah. so good at... He doesn't have his ninja skills yet. Yeah, it's early Bronze Age. He's still working on it. Ooh. <laughs> And then we have Shazam number three featuring the, the full Marvel family in a pretty spectacular C.C. Beck cover, to be honest. Yeah,
0: it's pretty cool. I like it a lot. Yeah. In fact, C.C. Beck uh, is the artist of all, well, two of the three stories, both of the new original stories in this issue. And I think it was Michael Bradley, fellow Superman podcaster, that pointed out that it's ironic that he quit Superman because he couldn't – he had trouble grasping Superman, but Denny O'Neill then goes and writes on Shazam.
1: Yeah, that doesn't make a lick of sense.
0: No. Now, see, it was – what was it he did, he thought maybe – what did we did, what did? we come up with, Dave? I think it was that perhaps he wrote these at the same time as yeah, some of the Superman. Stock but...
2: scripts and in... –
0: yeah, there's no telling though. You'd have to ask Denny, and this is a long time ago, so he probably wouldn't remember. I
2: don't know he has a pretty good memory.
0: Yes. Not a good head of hair, but he's got awesome memory. Um.
2: This one's Mike. Mike? Yeah. <laughs> what uh, the Superboy one?
0: That's it. Yes. No okay. young love. Yeah.
1: Well, young love with the nod, yeah. That's uh that's just creepy. I mean
0: I know you love me,
2: admit it. It's the veil of love. <laughs> I love another man. Oh um, man, that reminds me of the opening oh. that op- reminds me the opening to uh, Tropic Thunder in the fake trailer. That's Robert Downey Jr. and, and Toby Maguire. <laughs> <Nice>.
0: Oh god.
2: <laughs> no, the, the, exactly. Superboy... <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. the Superboy cover makes me laugh because Superboy said I can't stop this violent uh, storm And the blind guy goes But even though I'm blind I can Well why don't
0: you do it then <laughs> And not talk
1: about it Shop shop
0: <laughs> Get to work on it dude Not just hey I can do it No problem
1: I didn't With say this point, I was j- going to do it
0: <laughs> I, I just can, can. <laughs> <laughs> Then we have Strange Adventures 242 uh, World War on Earth And Ron that's, That's actually, actually a really cool cover. Yeah. That is a cool cover. That cover actually looks like it's almost reprinted, too.
1: Uh, I've seen an, uh, an uh, Alex Ross version of this Ooh. cover Ooh. in other places, but I like the fact that the uh, the thing destroying Ron is apparently a five-year-old boy with a magnifying glass. <laughs> so, uh, yes. Yeah. So what, is this
2: the end of St. Elsewhere? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Before it even started, it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next up, we have The Demon number nine with another Jack Kirby pu- cover inked by I Mike Royer. Yeah.
1: I love The Demon. Whatever happened to Chris Farley? Oh, Farley Fairfax. Okay. <laughs>
0: Chris Farley. Uh, we have Doom Patrol Demon's 124. down by oh. the river. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Eating a steady diet of government cheese.
0: Exactly. Mm. Uh, it's. Doom Patrol 124, which is the final issue of that, even though it reprints a f- previous issue anyway. Yeah. I don't know. That's all I have to say about it.
2: Thank you for Interesting. <laughs> Yay. Uh, then we have Detective, Com- Detective Comics 435, in which Supes, uh, apparently Batman gets into some Scooby-Doo-type mystery. <laughs> Stop that meddling, Batman. <laughs> and hey, I would that's... have gotten
1: away with it too if it wasn't for you pesky Dark Knight. <laughs>
3: <laughs> the, the that's another
2: a, yeah, Dick a, Giordano cover. Yeah, And it really does. It immediately. I mean, if I did, if I didn't read the credits, I would assume it was uh, Aparo.
0: Now this one I, looks more like Neil Adams to me. I'll give you that. Yeah, the other, it's weird. It's like he he's he's looked like both of the really some of the more two of the more famous Batman artists without trying. Uh, Then we have uh, Supergirl number five. Supergirl versus green people.
1: With a backup story about Hawkman.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That is just sad. The girl who split in two. This could be fun. Oh, Zatanna's in it. Woohoo! Oh, this is probably... I would imagine. And that brings us to the end. That brings us to the end of this episode. Mike, why don't you tell the fine folks at home where they can find you?
1: Well, these hope days, you folks uh, have like 20 what,
2: minutes. What?
0: I said, I hope everyone has about 20 minutes. This could be a while.
1: <laughs> no, nah, I'm, I'm going <laughs> to keep it. I'm going to keep it brief because, well, I'm hungry. So, um, I hear you. no, uh, I co-host from crisis to crisis, the Superman podcast with my good friend, Jeffrey Taylor. Uh, Currently, uh, our mission statement is to cover every Superman book from Man of Steel number one to Adventures of Superman number 649. Currently, we are hip deep in the death and return of Superman. We just finished Doomsday, just finished. uh, By the time this one sees airing, we probably might have the first Funeral for a Friend episode out. Uh, But before that, we had a roundtable discussion that both Charlie and J. David participated in, which was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. That was a blast. Should be pretty easy to edit too, which makes me happy. Um, I also co-host Tales of the Justice Society of America with my other good friend, Scott Gardner, uh, where we look at the JSA starting with their revival in the mid-70s and moving forward. Currently, we are covering the All-Star Squadron and are about to start Infinity Incorporated. Uh, We also do a side cast to that show, called crisis counseling as we build up as we cover the early monitor appearances before you actually saw what he looked like unless you read gi combat um or or Green lantern just letting they didn't show him in green lantern Mm -hmm. they just showed him in gi combat randomly it was very funny um so and i also participate in comics monthly monday which is on the the third monday of every month on two true freaks and all of those shows can be found at uh, two true com. from crisis to crisis can be found at the superman homepage.com and supermanpodcastnetwork.com i have some other shows that i do unfortunately they are having to take a back seat for all the Death of Superman coverage that's going on. It's really eating up my time, but it's been a lot of fun. Uh, but there's a couple episodes of a show called Bailey's Batman Podcast out there where I'm covering my Batman collection, which is at baileysbatmanpodcast.com. Views from a Long Box.com is the home for views from the Long Box. There's a about 130 some odd episodes of material there where I talk about just about anything that pops in my head. That was my first uh, podcast, so if you want to hear what it sounded like before I had a nice microphone. Listen to the early episodes of that (laughs) show. Boy, did it It suck. That's when I was learning everything. And I write the reviews for Action Comics for the Superman homepage, uh, which you can find at supermanhomepage.com.
2: Excellent.
0: Thank you. (laughs) And, of course, David and I also do other things. David.
2: I sometimes eat sandwiches. No, you can... Yes.
0: <laughs> I like to watch cartoons. Yeah.
2: Um, <laughs> I, I am uh, also hosting the New 52 Adventures of Superman dot dot com. Well, let me try that again. Uh, this is going to be a long night. I also co-host the New 52 Adventures of Superman, which covers the modern incarnation of Superman, which you can find at new52superman.libsyn dot com. And, of course, Pad Smash, an Incredible Hulk podcast available at... Uh, the Incredible Hulk Homepage dot com, and finally Green Lantern's Light, which is a monthly podcast with uh, Mister Michael Bailey's co-host Jeffrey Taylor and Michael Bradley, which makes things very confusing because I caught co- I podcast with a lot of Michael's. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> we cover the Green Lantern issues going back to about 1984, when the, the book was a, a lot more dense. Uh, so join us there at GreenlanternsLight dot com.
0: And other than this I sometimes get to be a co-host on Michael Bradley's Thrilling Adventures of Superman where I help him cover the radio shows and beyond that I just sometimes pop in on other Superman shows randomly It's pretty fun Faster than a month Um, it comes in slow But yes I can And um well, that's it for this month. We want to thank um, Michael again for coming on the show. It was awesome having him, and look forward to having you on again sometime when uh, things aren't quite so hectic for you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I really appreciate uh, you guys having me on. This was a lot of fun. I've enjoyed the show so far,
0: Yay. and uh, thanks. Thank you. And we want to thank you also for um, pimping us on Facebook.
2: Yes. No, that not was a really problem. cool.
0: That was really cool. Uh, not too many people do that besides us, so it's really cool. True. Do that. <laughs> um, we also want to mention because we haven't been mentioning for a while. Um, emails would be great. Um, if anyone wants to like write us and send us an email, we'll read them on the show, we're, we're and very... it would be kind of cool to you know interact with people that listen to the show. Yes, we're So very... if you would like, what we're, we're very lonely. Yeah, we. We're very... It's sad. So, uh, please email us at superbronze1970. Yeah, superbronze1970 at gmail.com. Also, please leave a review on... What's that, place? iTunes. iTunes, thank you. (laughs) Please leave a review for us on iTunes. Uh, Since we've switched over our feed, we only have one. And um, iTunes likes to use that as part of their... Equation or theorem or whatever it is that lets them decide how they want to promote show uh, podcasts that that they have on the show or have on the show have on their iTunes so more the more reviews the merrier so if anyone wants to go on and say "Hey, this is a good show or hey, this sucks, whatever, just please leave a review and we'll probably read that on the show and if you're from overseas outside of America and you do so, please like send us an email and let us know. Uh, because we neither one of us can read it if it's not on the American site. Um, but beyond that, so thank you again to Michael and thank you all for listening and we hope you have a good couple of weeks and we will see you later. Bye, everybody. Bye.
2: Bye. Thank you for listening to Superman in the Bronze Age hosted by Charlie Niemeyer and J. David Weider. Superman in the Bronze Age is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network at Superman Podcast Network dot com where new episodes are posted bi-weekly. Episodes are also posted at superbronze 1970 dot com, Superman of the Bronze amazing Amazingworld of Superman dot com, and Superman You can also subscribe to the show via the RSS feed and iTunes. All images, characters,
0: and music used in the show are for entertainment purposes only. No money is made by the show.
2: Superman, created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Thank you for listening and God bless.
1: Superman is also a copyrighted feature, appearing in the Superman DC publications.